it is recording. Hey there, guys. So my name's Tom. And my name's Kevin. And you may remember us from an earlier podcast known as... What's the name of that? MTG Radio. Now we should just be called... uh, This is MTG Radio in a car. Or on the road. On the road. Like Sam and Max on the road. Which is a very good set of games from the Telltale Game series. So Uh, folks, like anything that says on the road in the title, we're actually on a road right now. So if you hear any uh, car noises or hear a screeching halt of us dying... It's because we're in a car. At least it's recorded. It'll be easy, last will and testament. Yeah, this is our black box. Yeah, oh, oh, wow. It is our black box. I bequeath all of my cards to no one. They're mine. So, so that works. They're going to have to bury you with your magic cards? They're going to have to bury them with me. That's how bequeath works, Kevin. That's, okay. okay. So, That's, folks, let it be known that Tom wants to be buried with his magic cards. He loves the game that much. Bury me with them. Like, just dig the hole and then just pile my magic cards on top. I think there's enough to at least get a three-inch layer. Uh, I think so. I think so. I think that's, uh, I'd be quite proud of that. So, so you may be wondering, why are they doing this podcast so long from there? And I think it's a good time to update you on what's going on with us. So, let's start with you, Kevin. What are you up to? So, um, I, since the last time you all heard from me in regard to a podcast, I've graduated from college. Yeah, yeah. Moved to Jacksonville. I work there right now. And, uh, currently on vacation visiting Tom, where he has moved to Tampa. Slash Spring Hill. Slash Spring Hill, Florida, which no one knows where that is. So, really, it's, it's Tampa. Yeah, I live an hour north of Tampa. You know it's a small place because I have to give you a bigger frame of reference for where I live. But at this point, I've become an avid MTGO EDH player. I've actually sold off my paper collection, so I no longer play Paper Magic. And that's something we'll talk about soon. And uh, we're here to update you today about the uh, the health of EDH and just kind of talk about the format, answer any uh, nagging questions that we may be able to come up with off the top of our heads. Where we are, where the... MTG Radio place is so I guess I'll take it from here because as far as MTG Radio is I'm the I'm the sole flag holder. You are you are the carrier here. I am the carrier. But so first you need to tell us. How so have so you what's been? so what's happened, right? So the last time you heard me uh, was in the last episode, which we won't talk about because it was horrible. Uh, but the episode before that was the one where I missed my final. <laughs> yes. While we were going over every single commander and commander at a time, we, uh, which was hilarious, we made Tom miss a final. That is one hundred percent true. And what happened? That you guys are not, that important to us. That was not something that oh, ah, that's hilarious. That's a good plot movement point. No, that I, I missed my final. Uh, I got to make it up though, which was really nice. I basically uh, funny story. So I miss my. Uh, I get a text from my then girlfriend, who is now my ex girlfriend. So my ex girlfriend, because mm-hmm. she's still my ex girlfriend. Mm-hmm. That's how that works. Yeah, that's how that works. They stay your ex forever. Oh, oh wow, that's kind of sad. And we are in a school zone, so folks, just uh, just just wait for it because this is going to be a while. Okay, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so this, this podcast should go on for a bit. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so my ex girlfriend texts me. She's like, "Tom, are you okay?" And I text her back. I'm like, "Yes." She's like, "You're you're you're not here." I'm like, "I'm not where." The final just ended. First of all, should have texted me before the final. Let's be honest here. If I'm not there 15 minutes early, I'm not going to be there. So, Tom, Tom, we don't need to hear your baggage. Duh. We don't need to hear about the baggage. <laughs> anyways, so I missed my final. I pause, I stopped the recording thing. I like green creatures in the middle of it. And I'm like, guys, I missed my final. You're both like, what? I'm like, yeah. I run down, find out I can't take the test. I legitimately beg, beg the lab coordinator. This is for my bio to lab final. Kind of an important class. Crying on my knees begging. Like, that's that's how much begging. Like, if I don't get through this class, I get held back a year. So I'm like, please, 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 please let me take this. And, and the lady just looks at me and she's like, uh, uh, okay, <laughs> okay. And she uh, she lets me take it with another class and I ace the final because it's bio 2 lab. That was the other reason why I was so angry about it. Like, the Sad. You missed an easy. It final. was a bio two final. What the hell is this? I I mean I, I'm a finance guy. I don't take bio two. Okay. <laughs> to be fair, bio two is the harder of the biology classes. But 
that being said, I did end college, which was nice. Uh, but during college is when I started streaming. Yeah. So streaming yeah. has been awesome. If you go to twitch.tv slash MTG radio, just like the podcast, uh, you'll find the stream there. And guess what I stream, Kevin? EDH? I stream EDH. Oh my God. I, it's, it's a heart attack to everybody. I know. I think, I, know. I think everyone's surprised. But what else is involved in EDH? So the cooler part about EDH, especially when you play it online for streaming, is it's on MTGO. It is on MTGO. It is on MTGO. Um, and then just to finish off me, after graduating from college, I will be going into a nursing program uh, around January 15th of 2014. Congratulations. Congratulations, me. Woo! Yeah. And Kevin's doing really great up in Jacksonville. He's got himself a nice little job. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm working the, the work and life now. He's working the work and life, life finances. Building Congratulations. Life that's how life works. So I actually want to start this off with a pretty interesting question. Yes, sir. You've liquidated your collection and gone online. I have. For EDH. I have. Or just for Magic in general. Mm-hmm. Why? So part of what drives Magic for someone is who you're playing with. The okay. area that you're in, the players around you. Now, in South Florida, we had our small group of friends that we all played Magic. We loved we loved to play Magic. That's just it, how it was. It was a good environment. Now, in Orlando, where, where we're actually visiting today, Patrick and Trevor, there, there's a good Magic community there. And in there's, Tampa... There's, there's a, a lot of players to play with. And in Tampa, I've lived right next to Armada Games, so there's a great Magic community for me. Now, Jacksonville, that, that really wasn't the case. Um, I moved up there. There was a very small Magic community there. It's like 40 minutes from where I was living. Um, you know, I, I didn't really have a good experience the, the, the time I went and tried it out anyways... So I figured, you know what? I got some moving expenses to pay for. I just graduated. I'd like some spending money. I'm gonna sell my collection, and you know what? It 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 made me a good bit of money. So I feel validated in it. And I really, since we've kind of started the, you've started that streaming thing. Since we started recording videos and putting them on the DraftMagic.com. Yeah. Um, for that, uh, let's actually just plug it. Um, if you go to www.draftmagic.com, you're going to see some uh, Theros draft videos and possibly a few other formats. Maybe RTR, intent not to not drink, <laughs> wink. Depending when this comes up and the video comes up, you, you might you might see this before the video, might see it after. Um, we're foretelling the future. Foretelling the future. But we're actually recording some uh, dual commentary uh, um, drafts. Drafts. Draftmagic.com. We oh. also have recorded a number of four-man commander games. Those are fun. Which uh, we'll continue trying to do those as time goes on. Now, Tom's schedule is going to get a little restrictive come January. It will get very restrictive. But, uh, you know, if you haven't caught up on the whole MTG Radio crew, that's a good place to do it. There's a lot of content out there. Yeah, which is really fun. So if you're if you're only listening to the podcast and you want to see what else is going on, it's a great place to check it out. Um, now, uh, as far as physical magic and online magic, I always kind of held two collections, which is not a smart idea because it costs way too much damn money. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I always held two collections. Uh, one was online, one was physical. And I kept my physical collection because at USF, where I went to school, Armada Games was right next to it. Armada Games were Sheldon Memory plays and has an amazing, amazing EDH community. Uh, would recently, you say the, like the flagship store for EDH? Yeah, I would definitely say the flagship store for yeah. EDH, which I just lucked into. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a fortuitous I was kind of incredibly happy. Yeah. Um, and then, so I've been playing, I played a lot there during college, and nowadays that I'm up at Spring Hill, um, I've actually found that my physical collection is dwindling again. Is it? Yeah, I just don't have the chances to really go over there. Yeah. Um... Well, I mean, it's hard now. You, you live about an hour north of Tampa. Exactly, an hour north I of mean, Tampa. So, are, is this? Are you trying to make an announcement that you, that paper collection might soon start vanishing? No, I, no. I, I, I can't get over physical magic. It's so much fun. You get to talk to people. Well, 
talking to people is actually something you can do in MTGO as well. What do you? So one of the things I do want to go into is the difference between MTGO EDH and Magic EDH, and just physical EDH. I think the number one difference is social interaction. Um, no, no, I can play MTGO EDH in my underwear. That's well, what's important. Exactly, the social interaction. <laughs> you can't play regular EDH in your underwear. So like, for MTGO, I think it's a good, I think it's a good representation of EDH. I really do. I, I think so as well. Um, the thing about MTGO is you don't necessarily know who you're always playing with. Now, we've been very lucky in that you have a very large viewer base for your stream. And so, most of the time, if we try to get a game going, someone from that viewer base is going to realize Tom is playing and is going to jump into the game. Or they've started to recognize my username, they'll do the same thing. Oh, that's cute. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. Starting to get that fame wagon going. Oh, wow. Become the Z-list celebrity. Z. <laughs> Z? That's, are you sure yeah. it's like number one? Definitely like under, Z. Maybe like alpha? Yeah. Like going maybe, to green maybe alphabet? Alpha. Okay. But anyways. <laughs> um, but, 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 but I would say like, let's go benefits first because yeah. the, 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 the attractions we can get to later. So, so the, what, what is the benefits of online EDH? Number one, I can play at 2 a.m. I can play. You can play at two a.m. You I can, can play, play in your underwear. I can play at one p.m. on a Wednesday. You know, you could be really in a grumpy mood and just want to play some magic, but you don't really want to deal with people. Yeah. Moto's great for that. Now, another thing, Moto's great for cost. How much does it cost for those dollar rares in real life for Moto? Oh my gosh, it's so great. So I'm, I'm gonna. My, my favorite examples are: you want to play with Moat? It's three bucks. You want to play with Forest Field? It's four dollars. You want to play with Vampiric Tutor? It's $7. You want to play with Jahu Dune? It's 50 cents. Oh, God. You want to play with Portal Three Kingdoms cards? They're pennies. They're pennies. It's amazing. It's It opens up so much freedom to the point where uh, you can make a legitimate contending EDH deck for $10. That's yes. it. Even less sometimes. And, you know, we, we even started a challenge series of everyone builds this 10-ticket deck. You have 10 tickets, $10 to put into an EDH deck. In Not real life, that's... It's almost unimaginable building a deck in EDH deck. That's for not even four packs. Yeah, it's like it's I'm not going to buy four packs of Theros. I'm going to build an EDH deck online. It's just not possible for in real life to build a deck for ten dollars. It's Magic Online lets you do that. It's very very easy to get into EDH in mode on Magic Online and really 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 fun. So that whole the the, the low cost is really attractive, and mm -hmm. I really do think it can be a driving force to get into EDH online or at least try it out. And again, we're just doing benefits right now, so yep. we, we can get into detractions like actual MTGO interface later. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a big benefit. I love, love, love that one of the benefits of not having social interaction is you can just play a jerk deck. Yeah. And you don't have to deal with your opponents whining about it, which is really nice. Like, if you want to play Zer the Enchanter, you can play Zer the Enchanter and your friends aren't going to beat you up for playing it. And the thing is, you're not going to get ostracized by the greater magic community online because you have a lot more people. There's exactly. a lot of people that play EDH on Magic Online, meaning that you're not always going to see the same bases in every single game you play. And no one's going to build a deck to beat you, like in real life Magic. Whereas in real life, when you build that spiky, spiky Zer the Enchanter deck, you go in, you crush your your you know EDH community five or six times. Someone, you know, the next time you go, someone's, someone's going to build like a deck sir. to just destroy you. Yeah, or, or sorry, not Parasoline, not Opalescence. Just, oh, destroy all the en art enchantments. Really? Back to nature. <laughs> so you don't really get as hated out, which means there's a lot more deck construction available, which is really, really, really cool. And I think that low cost, it brings me to one of my favorite things. I really do believe MTGO is a breeding ground for creativity when it comes to EDH deck building. I completely agree with you. It's such low cost to build whatever the hell you want. You're like, you know what I want to try out? I want to try out a painful wheel deck. Sure. Pay five bucks. 
Well, and you also have to consider availability of cards. Now, sometimes in real life, when you're trying to build a really cool and flavorful deck, even if you're not using the most expensive cards, it's hard to find them. I yeah, mean, like who let, has a breath stealer's grip? Let, let's use, for example, the other day. Um, we built a Prosh deck with uh, Tom's collection. I wanted some Cobalts to put into the Prosh deck. Dollar, I had to pay $1.50 for Cobalts. Not because it's a rare card, not because, uh, but because it's hard to find them And it's now. in demand. It's in demand. On Magic Online, you can find as many Cobalts as you want, and every Cobalt way, shape, and form... No issues, instantly, a click of a button, every bot's going to have them. And another one of the biggest upsides of EDH and I have to gather online, I only need one soul ring, Kevin. Yeah. So you only what? need one card. You, you mean you don't have to have seven damnations? No, and you don't need seven soul rings or seven command towers. You only need one of each spell to put in multiple decks. I'm, which I seriously think is one of the greatest parts about MTGO is the fact that it's like, God, the cost is so low. The cost is just, it's its so low, you only need one of the cards. And one other thing that, kind of talking about a little bit of the darker side of the Magic community, sometimes people steal things. Oh. Sometimes you lose things. Tom lost an entire EDH deck because someone, some jerk face decided to steal it one day. Yeah, that was the worst. Now, I may or may not have cried. Magic Online, yeah, someone can hack you. That is but, but as far as I know, it's never actually happened. If someone's putting the effort to hack your Magic Online account, they've probably hacked a few other things of yours as well. Yeah, so like, your cards are secure, they're low cost, you can put them everywhere, and... You only need one. You only need one. And I, I will say that the community may be smaller, but this is where it also is a little bit better than in real life. If you live in Utah and there's no one next to you, you know what you can do? Play Magic Gathering Online against anyone you want. If you live in Jacksonville, Florida, and there's not really a very large Magic community where you're at, what can you do? Play like, Magic Gathering Online. Play Magic Online. If you live in Spring Hill, Florida, you're an hour away from your game store, but you really want to play some Magic that day. What do you do? Go to Magic Gathering Online. <laughs> so now, at this point, we, we've built up Magic Online. We, we time to tear it down. All of the advantages. Now it's time to throw it, throw it crashing down. So the first one, Jesus Christ, that interface. I've had people ask me, like, hey, can you... Make a video just explaining the user interface on Magic the Gathering Online. In the first two weeks you're playing Magic the Gathering Online, you will lose so many games just because you don't know how the interface works. I distinctly remember when I first played Magic Online, first thing I did, because I thought I was amazing at Magic, now this was back when Alara Block was being played, went into Magic Online, joined a draft queue. Kevin, why? <laughs> why would I do this? <laughs> so, I, I accidentally took three cards during the draft that I didn't mean to because of misclicks. I didn't know how that the whole clicking situation worked with the left button, the right button, highlighting cards. <laughs> I also didn't zoom in. I also didn't know anything about stops in the game, so I missed all these triggers. Oh, it gosh. Was first round, easy loss. And I had I had a deck I considered to be great. Um, but the interface of Magic Online is so non-intuitive that you're going to need to take some time to just practice you got to gotta, learn how to use the program. Those first two weeks, don't enter into any event. Don't enter into any competitive matches for money. No. no, no. You will lose them. Play some fun games. You get a lot of cards to play with. To. Exactly. Take take $10, put it in, make a really crappy standard deck, make a really okay EDH deck. Remember, that's 10 ticket decks. And just play it out. Try it out. No money on the line. Just let, trying to learn how to do this. Let people know you're new. Yes. Please let people know you're new. Otherwise, they may be angry at you. And that's actually, I think that the second thing, it. Second thing on Magic Online, anonymity. A anonymity, great if you want to, like, download programs illegally. 
not as great when you want a good social interaction. So yeah, you get to play in your underwear, but you also don't see people face to face. And sometimes, and I will say this, decrease slowly, people can be jerk faces. Yeah, you know, their faces can be made up of jerks. <laughs> they do say that online is the breeding ground of all trolls in the world. <laughs> That's where the term originates from. And Magic Online, it suffers from the same issue. Any other online forum, when someone can anonymously go on and say whatever they want, they can be a jerk. And, um, and that is a big drawback because that can detract from the fun of Magic. It's a social game fundamentally. You want to play it to have fun. Yeah. And the other thing is... If they're not being jerks, I have found a lot of people just don't talk on Magic the Gathering Online. They yes. don't feel a need to. Most people actually, like, collapse the chat and don't say anything. So if you're looking to have a really fun, interactive, oh, haha, got you with my spell, they're probably not going to talk back. And, and that's the thing. EDH is fundamentally a format that you want to you be social with it. You're not playing because there's money on the line. Now, if you join, uh, you know, one of the PTQ qualifier or one of the PTQs on Moto... Daily event, premiere event. I expect, I fully expect you to collapse the chat, fully focused on the game. You, you are in tune. You want to be just focused on what you're doing. But we're playing Commander here, Kevin. Yeah, we're playing 99 card Singleton with no prize on the line. It's, it's for casual, and I want to talk to my opponents, and I will say, I legitimately goad my opponents into talking sometimes, just because I want to have a good experience playing ADH and MTGO. Yeah. So, th that's two real big drawbacks there. You know, I would say... Playing a social format, and... Number one, the UI is horrible. Number two, sometimes people don't talk to you. Or, if they do talk to you, it's not always the most pleasant conversation. Yeah, it's not the most nice thing. And you can't really ostracize someone on EDH on Moto. And, and there's a third thing that we may have... We actually talked about as a positive. Uh, well, I, I really want to go into this first. Sure. Sometimes matches can take a while to fill. Like, we're blessed. I'm going to be honest. Um, sometimes it takes about five, six minutes to get a match. And then because it is NTGO... Those games, I think my average EDH game time is about 45 minutes, 45 to, an minutes to an hour, yeah. which is shorter than in real life most of the time, but at the same time, you have to be there for it. And there's also, speaking of the UI, a lot of cards that are just horrible to play against because of how they interact. So I like to say MTGO is a level five rules enforcement judge that kind of fudged the test. Like... There's a lot, there are still a couple of bugs on Magic the Gathering Online. There's a couple of stuff that doesn't work correctly. And there's also a lot of cards that don't work intuitively with MTGO. Uh, one of the main things is Graft and uh, Sun Droplet and there's, there's the Angel that's really annoying to play against. There's just a large number of cards that on Magic yeah. Online, they're broken. Um, the, the thing about Magic is it's a very complicated game. Every new set, they make a new mechanic. And well, flanking and phasing and banding is still in this thing. And the way you have to program these games is that all the mechanics, they have to work themselves, but they also have to work interact correctly with everything else in the game. It's very difficult to program that. Some cards, it's just, it's not worth them going back and changing a card from, say, Portal 3 Kingdoms. So the EDH, the, the EDH community online, which we've already said is small can play with it properly. I would say it's not it's medium-sized. It's uh, smaller than in real life. Oh, yeah. small. Of course, smaller than in real life. But I think it's growing. I honestly think it's growing. Oh, yeah. No, um, definitely growing. Like, a good example is, do you know how hard it is to code something like, you have a 1-1 one -one with flanking and your opponent blocks with a Tundra Rules with first strike? That Tundra Rules dies. You know how hard it is to code that? I, I imagine insane. pretty hard. Pretty hard. <laughs> so, sometimes MTGO does get it wrong, and in those situations, it kind of sucks. Uh, if you're looking to play a token-based deck or a deck that has a lot of end-of-the-battlefield, need-the-battlefield abilities, 
uh, it's not going to be that much fun. Yeah. No, there's... Magic Online, it, it's got its pluses. It's got a lot of drawbacks. Now, the drawback that I was actually referring to is when you're building a, a community in real life, you have the ability to vet people. So if you have a guy who wants to be a jerk face, play a spike deck every time, wants to combo off on turn five, you can just refuse to play with him. You can say, listen, you're a great person, but I, I'm not playing Commander to die on turn five to your combo. I'm sorry. And I, and I think what Kevin's getting to is that because you don't have a defined playgroup, you can have two people show up with Edric and Azami, and you could be playing Tibur and Lumia. Exactly. And your, and your other friend could be playing Ar- Arcadis Zaboth. So... Because there's no defined playgroup, you don't really know what to bring to a table. So, what I like to say is that if you're... Actually, yeah, I think we can get into this later, but... Um, there is a there is amount of people who do like to play very competitive decks, like, uh, for example... Royal AL. Royal AL. He's normally a 1v1 commander player. So, he has incredibly co- focused, tuned commander decks. They want to win the game as quickly as possible. It's absolute nightmare to play against them in a four-man match because I'm not building a deck to, to crush everyone at the table. I'm building a deck to have some fun, to do something cool. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to win on turn seven, Kev. Exactly. Although I have done that. Yes, and, yes you have. And actually, this, I think that's... Would you say those are the pluses and minuses on MTGO EDH versus in real life? Can you think of any? Um, you know, I think that's a pretty balanced list on both sides. The pros and the cons. Now, I still say that the pros far outweigh the cons. Oh, easily outweigh the cons. But just be aware that when you get into it, there are some things. It's not always magical Christmas land. Tom yeah. and I are very lucky because we have a little bit of rate name recognition on Magic Online for the Commander community. And I'm talking a very tiny bit of <laughs> recognition. Pico! Pico! But at this point, Tom, uh, what's the next question we want to go over? What's the next thought? So I really want to talk about what have you been playing? So I've been playing Gaji the Honored One. You've been playing Prosh. I have been playing Prosh. Uh, and I think, so just yesterday we had a, we got a lot of games in with these decks in real life. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's only December 12th and they don't... The new Commander decks don't pop up onto Magic Gathering Online until December 20th, of course. So that is something. Actually, go back to the drawback list. Um, product is released later Yeah. on Magic Online than it is in Paper Magic. So I, sometimes with these new Commander sets, all these real cool cards you want to play, you have to wait a while to play them. Because they have to be coded in. Now, that aside, let's continue talking about the new set. So the new Commander decks have dropped. So far, they've made a slight impact on the format, but honestly, just in the way of Commanders, the same way with the first Commander set. Uh, if you look at the first Commander set, which dropped since our last podcast... Everything's dropped since our last podcast, Kevin. Yeah. Letting you know that immediately. Um, it's been a while since It's been last a while. Podcast. The new Commanders... The reason why the first Commander product was so important, and something I really want to hinge on a little bit, is that they gave us Commanders for Wedge Generals. And the simple fact is, the only Wedge Generals we had for seven years... Were the Planar Chaos Dragons. Yeah, the Planar Chaos Dragons. That's it. Or it, the Elder Dragons. Yeah, and then there was Doran in Morrowind. And then that's it. Like that. That is it. So since the commander, the commander decks dropped, we've had a boom into commander. And what I mean by that is, there are so many new decks. There are so many new deck archetypes coming out of it. We now can play Rug Ramp. Uh, we can play Riku. We can play. Uh, we can play Oros Ag- Aggressive. Like we can do with Kalia. We can do with so many new things. And the new commander decks, they also, they're kind of similar, but because they're shards. They focused more on specific strategies. So, like, Rune the Enchanter, uh, the Blinky guy, he's, he blinks. He blinks. We finally have a Bant Blink General. You can make general. a Blink deck 
finally, with your yeah, commander right. actually fitting into your theme rather than just playing Aurelia into your blink deck because Aurelia is a Bant general and is good. Janara, for the record. Or Janara, I'm sorry. <laughs> Aurelia <laughs> being a, a red really white. good oh, red-white angel. I love that I, card. We'll talk about, we'll, we'll we talk about that later. Um, um, but, and then Negasaur for painful wheel decks. Mm-hmm. Decks that hurt you for drawing cards and discarding cards. Or, like in, in my case, Prosh. If oh, you want to build a, a really good Chund-based token strategy or Chund-based sacrifice strategy... There were cards, like Sequoia Deathkeeper is a good example, or even Crash, kind of, because it still was okay. Yeah. But Prosh is officially here. Prosh is officially <laughs> here. Now, I played that all last night um, when we were doing this Commander League, and I, I gotta say... He's a powerful general. Oh, God. I was so scared playing against him. Like, every time you play out your general, the entire table starts quaking so a little bit. So let's quickly go over him. Uh, three red, green, black for 5-5 five, five dragon. And the, here's where it gets good, right? Whenever you cast him, you put X, 0-1 kobolds or Kirky tokens onto the battlefield that are red creature tokens, mm-hmm. equal to the mana spent to cast him. And the second ability, even more important than the first, you can sacrifice another creature, not just a kobold, to get Prosh plus one plus zero until end of turn. Now, first things first, when you play Prosh and you, you get six creatures for him, you Ooh. just get six creatures playing Prosh the very first time in a game. Seven creatures for the price of one card. That's a reusable and increasing effect. I'm very excited for that. And, folks, sorry about that. We almost got ran off of the road by a truck. Yeah, you know, normal stuff that happens. So, sometimes we're, we are going to cut out a little bit, just to make sure we don't die. Yeah, not dying. Super secret tech when playing EDH. Super secret tech. The best way to win games in EDH is to not die. Yes. Now, the thing about it when with Prosh is, when you make that many creatures, you get to do things with them. Now, if you have mass pump effects, if you have sacrifice effects through things like Goblin Bombardment, or the mass pump effects through things like Crater Hoof Behemoth, those six creatures, they can do a lot of damage. I had one game where I play Prosh one turn, get six creatures. Next turn, I tooth and nail with Entwine, getting a Greater Hoof Behemoth, Behemoth, and an Avenger of Zendikar. I mean, granted, you win no matter what that game. But granted, yeah. you win no matter what, but I, I needed those six creatures to kill my opponents, not yeah. just Prosh. And I think there's actually a lot of really synergistic cards I want to touch on in that deck. And the first one, one of my favorite red Kamigawa enchantments in the Web of War. Uh, three double red whenever a creature enters a battlefield it gets plus two plus seven haste um, it's just the perfect five to six because for five you play in the web of war six you play crash you're attacking for damage yeah you're attacking for so much damage you have six two ones coming in and then you have a seven five crash coming in that's that's a lot of damage for just turn six and I think the coolest part about Prosh is that he plays as both a very aggressive deck because you know Prosh, uh, but he also plays as a very I'm going to say combo, but synergistic deck, I think, is a better word for He's it. He's very synergistic, and he can also play a little bit more of the controlling strategy, because you know what a zero million can do very well? What? Block. Yep. <laughs> zero so if, you're, block. if your opponent's playing a bunch of creatures that don't necessarily have trample, and you just need some chump blockers, Prosh makes a lot of chump blockers. Oh, yeah. Um, so got, I cannot say enough. I, I really like that deck. I like how that general is gone. Now, that's me. How... What did you play last night, Tom? I played Gaji, the Honored One. So, I always call him a cat beast, but he's a regular beast. Uh, two red, green, white for a 4-4 four, four legendary beast. Boom. Have our beast general, finally. Mm. Always wanted a Naya beast general. Um, and then the ability is where it gets good. So, you remember Edric? One green, blue for a 2-2 two, two whenever an opponent got dealt damage, the person dealt damage drew a card? Yeah, that's Same really idea. Good, good effect. But let's be more aggressive with it. So, 
Gaji's ability, whenever a creature attacks an opponent or an opponent's planeswalker, it gets plus two plus seven on the turn. Wow. Really and that's not just your creatures. That's no. anyone's. Yeah, so always make sure to remember the triggers in real life. That is one of the better parts about MTGO, by the way. It remembers all your triggers. It, you will never miss a trigger in Never MTGO. miss a trigger ever again. You may misclick a trigger, but you'll oh, never miss one. No, it will remind you it exists, <laughs> which, again, can get annoying with, like, graft. But you'll never miss a trigger for the rest of your life. Anyway, so Gaji, I feel, he's been very fun. I, I love being aggressive. The number one thing I like being aggressive, and he's incredibly aggressive. Um, when playing in a four-player game, he's not as political as I want him to be. The fact is, he's a really big threat, and you don't really have many people going, "Oh, I'll get this extra plus two plus seven attack this way." I found him to not be like that's what they intended, and I don't think they really succeeded. That being said, giving all my creatures plus two plus seven when they attack. That's pretty powerful. That's I, really powerful. I, I, I seem to recall a turn seven win on your oh, part. Gosh. You want to you want to explain to the audience how that happened? So I accidentally killed somebody on turn seven. Uh, basically, on turn four, I played Hero Blade Hold. Uh, two white, white, three, four. Whenever it attacks, reaching control, get plus one, plus one, uh, and then you get two one ones into play, tapped and attacking. And it means plus one, plus oh. Yeah, of course. And uh, you follow that up with Gaji, the honored one, and then Urbrask. That's and, a lot of damage. And your opponents died. Uh, that's, that's a lot of damage, sir. Granted, my opponent put me to 10 because of Soren, so I was like, I didn't feel bad about it. I was just like, so I play Urbrask and do you 31 damage? Good uh, game? Good game. And then, of course, I lose to, like, a guilt feeder. But whatever. That's that's for a future time. So, Ganji, basically, it sounds like we have a mixed message here. It's a general that he's a very powerful and a very aggressive strategy, but may not necessarily be as political as he was originally intended to be. Now, I think that he does break ground very well for a, possibly a Tribal Beast deck. Yeah, I think that would be a very fun to build it and play fun. with. I mean, it's, it's a deck I've always been interested in doing. Uh, the fact is you just didn't have a Naya General for Tribal Beasts. Like, there wasn't one. Now and there is. Now there is. And he's a great guy for Tribal Beasts because he's right after four. Uh, so you could have your you can have your Beast Lord, and then you can have Ravnus Bailoff, and you can have Gaji. And it's like, hey, guys... So you're taking how much? You like you like look at your watch. You're taking death. They're taking yes. death. They're taking death. They're taking death, which is really nice. Um, some other really important cards I want to focus on for Gaji. Mm -hmm. uh, my second favorite card in that deck is I gotta say overwhelming stampede. Ooh. Overwhelming stampede is amazing in that build. So overwhelming and stampede. It's three green green. Creatures you can get control get plus X, plus X, where X is the highest power among creatures you control. And it gets better. And trample. And trample. The ever-important ability. So if you have a... In the Ganji deck, you're going to play some really big cards. What happens when you play that 13-13 beast and then play Overwhelming Stampede? Everything you control gets thir plus 13, plus 13. And the other one I want to mention is, because Kevin already mentioned it, he took away my super secret tech of not even a secret, Aurelia is, like, the second best card in the deck after Hero Bladehold. Oh. Aurelia oh, yeah. the War Leader, two double white, double red for a 3-4. How many abilities on the top? That's right. Flying, Haste, and Vigilance. And whenever she attacks, you get another, you get additional, the first time she attacks each turn, you get additional combat phase. So the cool part about Gaji is it's a triggered ability. It's not a static ability. So you can stack, you know, on each successive attack step, you get another plus two, plus zero. So with Aurelia and Gaji, it gets really fun. And, sorry, I, I, I like this deck so much, I want to mention one more card that I thought was really cool. That's Wild Beastmaster. Ooh. Wild Beastmaster, not even that good at Ravnica Limited, great in Gaji. Two and a green for a 1-1. One, one. Whenever she attacks, creatures you control get plus X plus X until end of turn, uh, where X is her power. Cool part, they're both triggered abilities. 
So with Gaji on the battlefield, when you attack with Wild Beastmaster, as long as you stack your triggers right, you'll give all creatures on the battlefield plus five plus three, as long as Gaji's out at the same time. Which is great, because, you know, people die from that, Kevin. That's a lot of, that's a lot of, uh, pump effects. It's a lot of really, really, really fun things to do. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a lot of damage. I, I will say the one, the one problem I've had with the deck is that, as far as my build, I've had a lot of problem just going through long games. It's not good against control. I, um. Yeah, I, I feel like that's part of, part of the way you built the deck. You built it in more of, like, the aggressive, I want to kill someone really quickly process. I think if you go more like the Tribal Beast process, where you have a little bit more surge, a little bit more card draw, you can do a lot with this deck. It's a lot of design space, and it's a very powerful ability to just close out a game out of nowhere. I agree. Um, that's one thing I, I will say about these new generals. They seem very good at just closing out games out of nowhere. Especially Prosh. Especially Prosh. Oh, he, he is the king of the combo kill. There are, there are so many other cards to talk about in that deck, like <laughs> Skull Clamp even. Just like the funniest part was putting together a deck. We just go over a card and just look at each other like, really? This can We can do this? Like, Skull Clamp was that card. We like looked at it, looked back at Prosh, looked at Skull Clamp, looked back at Prosh. Sure. And it's in the deck now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Flesh and Blood. Oh. Tell me so, about Flesh and Blood, Kevin. So, interesting interaction the other night is I played Prosh. Obviously, I'm playing a Prosh deck. Good idea. My opponent rightfully fears Prosh and says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and make it where you can't attack this turn. Stonehorn Dignitary. And I'm like, okay, fine. You know what? I'll just keep developing my board. I think I played an Avenger as Zendikar. Then he does it again. He blinks. He replays that Stonehorn Dignitary. Of course, now, of course. after I double block it so he can body double it, he's like, Tom, I need this to die. I double block. Okay, I'm going to body double a Stonehorn Dignitary so Kevin can't attack again. Okay. Now, at this point, I start to get a little bit frustrated. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, I want to play Magic too. So, so you play Micaeus. I play Micaeus. And then I play... And then I use this process ability to sacrifice my Avengers and the card and get him back because of Undying from Micaeus. I have about a billion tokens now. I think it's around a billion. Right around a billion. I sacrifice enough tokens to build up to his my opponent's life total. And then I use Blood from, from Flesh and Blood to kill him with Prosh. Which, for a single red-green as a sorcery, it's going to deal damage to our creature player equal to target, uh, target creature's power. Yes. And uh, they died. So, they died. Um, that's that's what happens. What lesson learned, never tell Prosh that he's not allowed to attack. Um, <laughs> Granted, if you did attack with a Prosh, he was dead anyways. Well, yes. Um, but it just kind of shows some of the very cool interactions in that, Zach. Now, we talked about a little bit about what we did last night, what we've been up to, Magic Online versus Magic in Real Life. Now, what questions have user, viewers been posing to you, Tom? What are all those questions that you're just dying to answer, but you haven't had the forum to do so? Uh, so, the number one question I always get asked, which I think is my favorite question, is, Tom, what card would you like to go on the ban list? Ooh. It's like the number one question ever. I know what I'd like. Oh, really? What's your answer? I think... So, actually, we would have to break this into two things. One ban list for general only ban list. I think Perforos needs to go. Okay. I, I think that that card is way too powerful. I think he just makes the game, condenses a, a game that could be a very long, very fun, very intuitive game into like seven turns. So let's elaborate more instead of just saying that. Because okay. there's got to be a reason why, right? So Perforos, I don't even remember his full Oh name. yeah, of course. Perforos, God of the Forge, three and a red for a 6-5. Uh, he isn't a creature as long as your devotion to five is less than as long as your devotion is less than five. Doesn't matter with this guy. Uh, he, it's the first ability that matters. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent 
to get dealt two damage to the face. Now, very important, that is not commander damage. That is just regular damage. You need to deal all 40 with that ability. Per commander damage is explicitly combat damage. Now, the thing about it is, it seems good on the front end. Now, in 1v1 magic, you're like, oh, I'll take two damage. They're not going to play a lot of creatures. Fine. But in commander, you have time. Yeah. And you have a lot of cards. You have access to the full card pool of magic, minus a few specific banned cards. So you play a card that gives you, say, 10 tokens. Everyone gets dealt 20 Everyone damage. gets dealt 20 damage. And, you and then you do it again. You still have those 10 tokens. And now, we even didn't talk about the last ability on Perforos. For oh, yeah. two and a red, creatures you control get plus one, plus oh. So not you're only, already not, playing tokens that deal everyone damage. Yeah, not only are you playing one of the best token generals ever, he even has a pump effect for the tokens. Exactly. Um, he's one of those cards that just, I feel like the moment he resolves on the board, the game completely revolves around him. And the problem with that is, it's, there's no easy way to kill him. He's an indestructible enchantment half the time. Yeah, so I think this can actually lead into a good discussion of the gods and the EDH. The gods have been powerful. Oh my god, the gods have been powerful. The gods are great. I, I think that they have had a huge impact on EDH. I believe so as well. Speaking mostly from MTGO, to be fair, um, the scary part about the gods is how they work. They're indestructible enchantments, and they stay on the battlefield after wraths. So even if your opponent goes, I'm going to wrath away your Thassa, you're just like, okay, I play Stormcloud to buy them. I attack, and then they're dead. And, and it's a very powerful ability, and it's one of the reasons why a Perforos deck is so strong. Because once you cast that ability, he stays out there. And unless you're running the Glamour, he's not going away. And I actually put the Glamour in my crash deck on Magic Online because I was getting tired of playing against gods. Yeah, they're that good. It's, I mean, like... As far as ranking how powerful they are, and I've had to answer this question a lot too, it's easily Perfros at the top, but then it's Erebos because of how good Mono Black is nowadays because of Nykthos. And then it's going to have to be Nylea. Nylea, and then it's Thassa, Thassa and then... It, no, it's probably Helia than Thassa. I think I think Thassa's better just because of the ability to give your creatures some block ability, including yourself. I've played against a lot of really good enchantment stack stacks with Helia. That's the only reason why I would say Heliod. That being said, you can make a really good aggressive fish deck with Thassa that's really fun to play, so... We'll, we'll actually say Thassa and Heliod tie for fourth. Though. I would, but again, Perforos, head and shoulders. Now... Above everybody. We got all off on a little bit of a tangent there, so I said my pick for the general that needs to be banned is definitely Perforos. What's your pick for a general that needs to be banned? If you think there is one. Yeah... Right now, I think it's Perforos just because you can't beat it unless you specifically hate it out. And that's not a general you want to play against. Like, you couldn't beat Braids unless you hate it out. You couldn't beat Rafellos unless you hate it out. And you can't beat Perforos unless you hate it out. That's it. That's... I definitely agree with that logic. Now, the rules committee, they, they may agree, they may disagree. We'll see what happens with it. That's our pick for the generals. Now, let's let it, go ahead and let Tom take the first pick on just a single individual card you think you should be banned. Yo, Kevin... I don't like Palangron. This uh, is not a secret. This, I, this is... He, he says this every stream. Palangron. hate that card. And now you may be thinking... You might be saying that thinking, what's, what's so wrong with Palangron? No one in my playgroup plays it. Here's why Palangron sucks. You don't even have to try and you cast it and the game's over. It's like, oh, are you playing Cape Sun? Congratulations, you have infinite mana. It's like, oh, you're playing Mana Reflection? Congratulations, you have infinite mana. Oh, you're playing Phantasmal Image or Phyrexian or Fraction Metamorph, congratulations, Kevin. Guess what? Infinite mana. You have infinite mana. Um, it's it's one of those cards that it just, it's a combo card. And the thing is, 
combo cards are fine in EDH. Yeah. Because it's really easy to break combos down, but this is a card that it does not need really anything else to combo off. That isn't already in your deck, which is very important. Like, if you're playing a mono-blue deck, you're already playing Case and Gauntlet of Power and a bunch of clones. If you're playing a blue-green deck, you're already playing multiple ways to ramp up your mana. Mana Reflection. Mana Reflection. If you're playing Is It, you're already good. If you're playing, like, it just keeps going. You already have all the tools, and Palakron is just a one-card win. And not, not even mentioning the decks that can just actually just win Palakron. Like, I play Palakron to play Palakron. Mm -hmm. But I honestly think it's a detriment to the format. I don't know why it still exists. I am a really not a fan of it. I think it's not fun, not fun to play against. It's led to way too many games that become uninteresting immediately. And I just don't think it's acceptable. I, you know, I completely well, understand. What where, do you think? I completely understand where Tom's coming from here. Um, you know, one of the cards that they banned was Staff of Domination um, because of the ability of, of it and just very few other cards to just combo off and win you the game. And then they unbanned it. And then they unbanned it. Um, Palancron's kind of like that. Um, it, except it's even worse. Because it just, it, it, you don't need to put anything specifically in your deck to combo off of Palancron. Because as Tom mentioned, you're already playing these cards. So it's just one extra card in your deck that just says, oh, I win. Which that's is, it. For some people, yeah, that's fun. But I, just cards like that, they just, they, they bore me to death. They Maybe bore everyone to death. You're playing Commander again to have fun, to do something cool and interesting. I make infinite mana and kill you in whatever way I want to with infinite mana. Not it, not that interesting. And, like, most combos are fine. If you want to play Cadaver's Bloom and really have to go through it to win with Cadaver's Bloom, that sounds cool. I don't mind getting killed with Cadaver's Bloom. That sounds almost fun. But if my opponent's just, oh, hey, look, I drew Palancron, the game's over. Almost like Tooth and Nail. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> ribbing, I'm just ribbing Kevin. Um, so, for those of you who don't know, um, Tooth and Nail is probably my signature card when it comes to EDH. It's your favorite. It, if I play Tooth and Nail, I generally win the game. I mean, that's how Tooth and Nail works. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but the thing about Tooth and Nail is you have to play creatures to work with it. Yes. Palancron is just like I cast this card. Whoops. Looks like the game's over, guys. Well, the thing about Tooth and Nail and too, the, the is worst because you're dealing is, with creatures, it doesn't always work. And the worst part about Palancron, this is the funniest part. I can't see a single person giving me an excuse to be running Palancron. Because if you're not running it to combo out, you're running it as a 7-mana 4-5 flyer. Yeah. What? That makes no sense. Why are you doing this? So, so Palancron is the card I picked. Do you have a card in your mind? I, I'll be honest. I've been thinking about it this entire time. Cheerfully... No. Yeah, I, no. I don't have a card right now in Commander that I just, every time I play against it, I just want to punch a, punch a wall, punch a ceiling or something. I honestly I, think the ban list is fine right now. I feel like the ban list is, is very healthy at this point. They've taken care of a lot of the problem cards. Now, some people may make an argument for cards like Silva Primordial. I was actually going to bring up effects. some of them. Uh, so, I'm going to bring up three specific cards and we can talk about each of them. Okay. I'm going to talk about Cyclonic Rift, Silva Primordial, and Gary. Those are the three cards I hear the most. Okay. So, the first one is Gary. I think he's powerful. I, I think that Gary is a very powerful card. Now, for those of you who don't know what Gary does, um, his three actual double... name is Gray Merchant of Aspel. Oh, good point. They might not know he's called for Gary. For three black black, he's a 2-4 creature. Now, when he comes to play, he deals X damage to each opponent, and you gain X life, where X is the number of, what is your devotion to black, the number of black mana symbols on your battlefield. So this guy's good. He is powerful. And the thing is, it's each opponent. Once again, just like Perforos, they were like, oh... Let's make it more multiplayer in mind. Let's make it each opponent. But just by making it each opponent doesn't mean it's a more multiplayer-friendly card. 
It doesn't mean it stomps multiplayer more. <laughs> it just means it makes it where it's a three v one game, and the three are in the losing side of things. Yeah, and especially when it's a drain effect. Like with Perfros, it almost makes sense. Like, okay, it does an extra two damage, but for Gary, for Gary, it's the extra life you get off of each of those opponents you're sapping. It's the same reason why Sanguinate is so good, or the same reason why Death of the Deathless is so good. It's because you're not playing against one guy. You're playing against three of them. Now, we've talked, we've talked about the upsides of Great Merchant Asphalt. We've talked about the reasons why it would be banned. Why don't we think it should be banned? Because I think we're both in agreement in saying that, no. yes, it's powerful, but not ban-worthy. I don't think it's ban-worthy because, number one, I think there's cards that are stronger, that are more consistent, that still exist. Um, I know that's a bad way to phrase it, but number one, he's only good in mono-black or in decks that are built around bringing back Gary, which those do exist, by the way. They do. They do. And the thing about him is, while his ability is powerful, you need to have a lot of black mana symbols on the battlefield. In a format where every Wrath spell ever made is available to you, you yeah. can just easily play Wrath spells. They're not, it's, you're not changing anything by playing Planar Cleansing. I want to play Planar Cleansing in my decks anyways. And that makes Grey Merchant where, oh yeah, I drain everyone for two. So, yes, he, he's six. very powerful in a vacuum. He, he's very good. And there are decks that can make him really great. I've seen very good black-white builds that use stuff like Revelar, Karmic Guide, to just make you weep. But and, I feel, but and I another good one, Chainer, by the mm -hmm. way. Amazing Grey Merchant. But I feel like the difference between Grey Merchant and a card like Perforos is you already have cards that are already in your decks that can deal with the Grey Merchant. You have cards that, once you get them to the graveyard, you can exile them. I can't deal with an indestructible enchantment, Kevin. I really can't deal with an indestructible enchantment. I can enchantment. deal with the 2-4. And now, for that reason, the fact that he can be dealt with that card that are by existing cards in the format is why we don't think he's worth the ban. No, I, I have to agree with Kevin here. I don't think he's worth the ban. I will say... Easily one of the strongest cards out of Theros, behind Nykthos. Definitely agree with that. Now, going to the second card on Tom's list, Psychonic Rift. This is a card that oh. I was actually thinking about mentioning for a card I think should be banned. Um, now, there's reasons not to ban it. Um, there are reasons to ban it as well. Tom, let's let's tell them what it does. So, for one of blue, you can return target non-land permanent opponent controls to their owner's hand. But this is where it gets good. It has the overload mechanic. Now, overload for six in a blue allows you to return all non-land permanent your opponent's control to their hands. Wow. It's good. For seven mana, that's that's a cut rate price to swing in for game. That's uh, and an instant speed, And too. an instant speed. Now, here's where I don't think it's bad. First of all, that ability is obviously very strong. It ruins entire board states. Sometimes your opponents can win off of it. Here's where I don't think it ruins the game. Your opponent has to have a board. If they don't have a board, it does nothing. Like, it actually does nothing. I mean, like, yeah, it screws you over, but it, they don't die. They just go back to your hand. Well, and the thing about it is there are a lot of effects that already remove creatures on the board. You have evacuation effects. Now, yes, they're not as... They're, that's everyone gets affected, including yourself. But Cyclonic Rift, it just affects your opponents, but they have to have creatures. They have to have things on the board for it to matter. Now, cards like Upheaval, the reason why that's banned is because oh. that also deals with the lands. Yeah. That sets everyone back to the Stone Age. They don't have any... They have to discard... That just, it, it's a feel-bad situation, and it, it, it's completely against what the format's about. Yep. Cyclonic Rift is, it's only bouncing your non-land permanents, and you can always replay them. And you have to have a board for, for it to affect you anyways. If you're playing a control deck where you're mostly, mostly just flashing stuff in, it's not going to do anything against you. You're fine with and it. And the other part of it is, if your opponent's playing control deck, and they have, like, a Shadow Mage infiltrator on the board, and they just did it not to die, congrats. Yeah. It's worse than a Wrath Spell. So, yes, it is a very powerful card, expected to make a big splash in Commander for it a very long time. Oh, yeah, it's going to be played heavily, and it is good in certain decks. Like, if you're playing a blue-green deck that has the ability to just smash, 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 
Cyclonic Rift is the card you want to play. Yeah. Uh, you can get a really large board and wipe the rest of it, which is nice. But then again, like, Insurrection exists. I hate Insurrection. It's a, it's a, it's, you, you play it and the game's over. Exactly. But it still requires a board. And I think Cyclonic Rift is weaker than Insurrection. And okay. And it's the same effect. It requires a board for it to be good. So, yes, again, another card that in a vacuum is very powerful. And we're not disputing that fact. But because the effect of it is linear only to that they need to have a board, we feel that it, it doesn't require a ban. It's not something that just, oh, well, they play Cyclonic Rift. Everyone loses every time. Yeah, it's not like Bower Rhythm where everyone gets set to two and the game's over. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then the last card is Solon Primordial. And this is a hot-button issue, to say the least. This one, I, I think, is probably the most hotly contested. Now, Tom and I are both on the same page with this one. No. No? Right? No? You're saying I, no on the ban? I'm saying no on the ban. Okay, good. So we both think no on the ban, and this is... So first, what does it do? Good question. Five double green for a six eight with reach, huh? Not bad. Yep. When it enters the battlefield, uh, you can just uh, no, for each you will. <laughs> oh yeah, this is the worst part. It's not enough. Okay, we'll talk about that after we talk about what it does. Mm -hmm. um, when someone primordial enters the battlefield, uh, destroy uh, destroy a non -land, for each opponent destroy a non land permanent, destroy a non creature permanent, and get a forest from your library into play tapped. So it gets your land. It destroys non-land. It destroys uh, non-creature permanents. It's a good body, and it only costs seven mana. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of that's a lot of effects packed on the one card. Gets and you to ten mana. The thing about it is, if you can like continually blink it or continually bring it back from the graveyard, yes, you can just wrath. You can pretty much just stone rain everyone into the in the stone age while you're ramping yourself up. That's the worst case situation. And one of the worst parts about it, we might as well talk about it now. Mm -hmm. um, this was. This was fixed in, like, February of this year. Then they went back on it in September. The card was originally supposed to be a May. It was supposed to be a May. And guess what? I would love for it to be a May. Cause if this was a May, there would be no no judgment. Like, no, no, issues. no issues. So, one of the worst parts about playing Stone Primordial and playing against it is, let's say you're playing against a red-white deck, and they have, like, a Signet, and they have five mana out compared to your seven mana as a green deck, and they're just trying to play an actual game of EDH. Stone Primordial stops that. Like, if you have, if you're playing against a mana screwed opponent, you must destroy one of their lands. Like, there is nothing else you can do, and that game's over. And I can say there's been a number of times where I will sandbag a Sylvan Primordial because I don't want to mana screw someone. Yeah. I want to. I wait for them to say, "Oh, I'm gonna play Lightning Gears." I'm like, "Thank you." Yeah. Now, thank I, you for playing something so I don't have to blow up a land. Exactly. Because and if it was a May. Land destruction is something that's not fun. Not being able to play your spells, it's probably, it's against the spirit of EDH. And being forced to blow up their lands is the worst feeling. Yes. Because at that point, you don't even get the choice. Yeah. And not, it's each opponent. Yeah, and it's not like you're blowing up a Mazabith. Yeah, that's why Silver Primordial is so good. Mm -hmm. He's so good because you can blow up Mazabith, you can blow up Ghostly Prison, you can blow up... There's just... You can blow up Whip of Erebos. Debtor's Nell, you can blow up Mariari's Wake, you can... You can blow, blow up Karn. Every, every people play good enchantments. They play good in artifacts. They play, play good planeswalkers. They good play good planeswalkers. And sometimes you just want to destroy more than just one on the battlefield. You want to do one for each of your opponents. That's why he's so good. He's great for that. Now I like how we're waxing lovingly about a card. We're, people we're, hate. We're, we're waxing. I, I love this card. I really love the card. Now, the reason why people feel that he should be banned is it's because he's so abusable. He's very abusable. You can blink him. You can clone him. You make multiples of this guy, and it just you're blowing up all the land permanents. You're getting all the forests game's over, I'm not happy, we get that. We completely get that. However, if you're playing with someone who actually is trying to play the card, play it in a more fair manner, which, because this is a social format, people do will do that. I agree. 
I, when I play Sylvan Primordial, I very rarely try to reanimate it. Unless there's something I want to destroy on each person's battlefield. And I normally only play it if I'm destroying non-lands. Unless there's a land like Mazavith that I just need to destroy. Right. And also, there's a lot of really abusable cards already. Mm -hmm. Like, there's Magister Sphinx in this format, guys. There's there's a lot of cards that when they come into play, they have incredibly powerful effects. Yeah, if we're, if we're reanimating, there's sometimes even better targets. Now, like the other Primordials. Some people will draw a comparison from Sylvan Primordial to Primeval Titan. I gotta disagree immediately. And, and let's let's say let's talk about the reasons why Primeval Titan deserved its ban and the reasons why Primordial does not deserve its ban. Okay. At face value, when they come into play, Primeval Titan only gets you two lands. Silver Primordial destroys stuff and gets you three lands. So I'm going to call back to when we first saw Primordial Titan. And everyone was like, oh, he gets you two lands, that's fine. Then everyone was like, wait, he gets you two lands. Not forests, not basics. He gets you two lands on when he enters the battlefield or when he attacks. You could just get uh, Urborg and Cabal Coffers. Like, that's what you could do for any deck. Primeval Titan, it got you any lands in your deck. It's a repeatable effect, so even if you have any way to give it haste, if you have any way to just attack with it, on top of the two lands you already got for it... And it's not like non-basics are weak. Like, there's a lot of very powerful If you're not lands. getting Cabal Coffers and Urborn, like, imagine if it was now and you could just get Nykthos and, like, Vesuva. Yeah, yeah, Nykthos or... What? Gaius, no, Nykthos and Gaius Cradle in a green deck. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, that's, and that's why Primeval Titan was so good, because... Dude, good lands exist. Yeah, there's a lot of really great lands. Getting the choice of choosing any of those lands and just putting them into play, that's part of the reason why that card was banned. Now, And then when it was copied, it's still a 6-6 six, six Trampler, which is the funniest part about it. And you still get the ability when it attacks, on top of when it comes into play. It's just you're, you're getting all sorts of things, and you're not limited in the choice. Now, Primordial, number one, it only gets forests. Yeah, so it only works in green decks. So if I'm playing blue-white... Me copying your Primordial does nothing. For me. Yeah. It does something. All it is is I, I destroy, destroy a non-land permanent for each person. Which is still very good. Which is very good, but normally you play a lot of lands, you're playing a lot of non-land permanents. If they're really going to go through the effort of making enough of those to destroy all of your non-land or your non-creature permanents, fine. That's I mean, they probably would have got there somehow, somewhere else. Yeah, they could have just done, done just as well playing Magister Sphinx three times and Everyone's at setting 10. everyone to ten. Yeah. <laughs> so... Our, our line of logic is that because of the restrictions placed on Primordial, to make it fair, it's not worth the same ban that Primeval Titan was. I still wish it was a May. I think I, we see I, so much, more, I still so much wish, less backlash. You know what? I, I still wish it's oracle or errated so that it does say May. I wish. I hope Wizards fixes that. We'll see what happens there, but... They can. It's got to go by the card. Even at current, I'm going to say it's not, it's not bannable. I don't think it's bannable either. And the fact is, like, I know it's a bad excuse. It's the same thing saying, like, it dies to removal. But if you haven't yet, guys, we really, really, really have to be running Exile Effects. Yes, and, and part of the part of the thing is, you know, we, we, we talked about how Grey Merchant is not bannable because it can be dealt with by things already in the format. You already play Exile Effects. You already play sure. effects that should get rid of Primordial permanently. And I think that's a good segue. So, from four years ago, mm -hmm. where has the format gone? And I, the, the first one, just to bridge this, is we went from a format that was very Wrath-heavy to, I believe, a format that is dominated by ramp decks. Dominated. Uh, with the printing of Rug Generals, Rug Ramp, I think, is might be the strongest. Well, let's, let's talk about probably one of the signature cards for these Rug Ramp strategies. You want to talk about Boundless Realms? Oh, God, this card. <laughs> Boundless Realms, six and a green. Uh, put an extra, put a basic land from your library into play, tap for each land you control. 
any, pretty silly. Any basic land for each land you control. So if you're playing with seven lands, oh, I have 14 lands now. And they're lands. People don't like playing land destruction. Yeah, no one's really playing Armageddon. And for the record, please don't play Armageddon. So this is a, this is a discussion I've had liberally. Uh, this is a question that gets asked a lot. Tom, if everyone's playing land, land ramp, why don't I play Armageddon? Because Armageddon's not fun. And also because you don't know you're only playing against land ramp decks. Like, yeah, sure, it's great. Haha, ha, got that Malsham Wanderer player. I also put the Jorgadim player into the Stone Age and they can't get back into the game. And I destroyed my other friend playing Sig River Guide. Good thing I got that Melsham Wanderer deck, though. Let's wait 20 more turns while this game ends up still being won by the Melsham Wanderer deck. Yeah. Like, well, it, you can't know what you're playing against, so mass land destruction is not the answer to land ramp. The answer is permission. Just kill them. No, it's killing them or permission. Because they have so many land ramp cards that permission makes sure their actual spells don't resolve. Yeah. The counter spells. They always they were always good in the first place. Or if you have that Maelstrom Wanderer, and then they resolve that balance from, say you were tapped down, shields were down. They got shields it Shields down. Okay, you have 14 lands. Well, now you have three players at the table who are very motivated to kill you. They're going to kill you. <laughs> They're going to kill you. It's very hard as a ramp-based strategy, especially if you try not to play a combo to, to win in a 3v1. You have to play it politically. And that's where I think the politics of EDH have made it to where, while Lambert strategies are dominating the format in the sense that a lot of people are playing them, it's not unfair. It doesn't mean and it's an the, unhealthy format. And the reason they're playing them is because of where the format was when it was dominated by wrath strategies. You know what's good when your opponent damnations every single turn? Having a lot of lands. Having a lot of lands to recoup it right back. Exactly. It's like, oh, <laughs> nice day of judgment. Yeah. I'm going to play Ulamog. I'm going to play Rise from the Dark Realms. Yeah, it's like, okay, congratulations. Oh, you wrathed again? Cute. I'm going to play Genesis Wave. Yeah. Oh, you wrathed again? Well, I got back that Genesis Wave with Ewit. I'll cast it again. Oh, you wrathed again? I play Tooth and Nail Entwined. I'll play Tooth and Nail Entwined, and I'll leave up Counterspell Mana. Try it again. I dare you. So, the ability to play your spells is just... It's so important. There's a lot of big, flashy spells. That's why the Land of strategy is really... They've taken off... Um, I, I actually consider it to be a sign of a healthy format here from the standpoint of there's ways to deal with it. There are lots there are, of ways... There are very easy ways to deal with it. That it's isn't not unfair. And I think people have to... I think people have to really consider evolving their EDH stance from where it was before. Because I don't think the Infinite Wrath deck is actually viable anymore. No. I See, I fully remember when we first built our EDH decks, I think I played 11 Wraths. I've seen... I, I saw, like, 13 Wraths. I, I played very little targeted removal because I'm like, well, what if there's three creatures I want to kill? I just want to kill everything. Yeah, it's a multiplayer game. Everyone's playing seven drops. Exactly. Let's just kill everything. Whereas nowadays, you really need to have that good mix. Like, I play a Teneb deck online. Now, Teneb deck, it's a reanimation-based deck, so I want to play Wrath Effects. I only play six Wrath Effects in that deck. Five yeah. to six. And that's that feels like a lot. But then you realize, I play a lot of targeted removal, so I can get rid of the one card, not rid of everything. Because it's just the way the, the format's evolved, because I don't necessarily want to destroy everything. It doesn't do anything for me. I need to have my own board alive to do stuff. And looking to the future, there is... I think there's one last... The next evolution is coming, and it's going to be based around people are finally going to be forced to play Tectonic Edge. They're going to be forced to play Strip Mine. They're going to be forced to play Ghost Quarter. They're going to be forced to play that non-basic land hate, not Wasteland, because God, that card's expensive. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. But because of cards like Nykthos that just came into the format, like Mono Black, I think is currently the strongest deck. Like I, I, I know we just we just waxed lovingly over land-based decks. Seriously, Mono Black. What the hell is going on there? So, with Nick the Nick Shrine of Nyx, Cabal Coffers, 
Urbor, Tubug Yagmoth. Just between those three cards, it's like you're, you're just mana. way too much mana. You get all the black mana in the world you want. You can play all yeah. these little black mana symbols. You can play your Grey Merchant. You can just drain everyone for you a billion. You have Extort now, so you don't actually die really quickly. It's it's a very powerful strategy. And now with like Erebos is like a shining star in Mono Black Generals. Mm-hmm. Love him. Um, I think Mono Black's really good, and one of the only ways you can you can stop them is. Non basic land hate is a very good way to do it. Getting rid of again Mazevith, Cabal Coffers, Nykthos, but also exiling effects. Because for a long time, no one touched the graveyard because everything was dying, and we need these to win. Um, we really, I think, the format needs to play more exile effects, spot removal wise. Yes. I know you're already playing Swords and Path, but if you're playing Black, you should be playing Seven Bloodline instead of your instead of your Wrath of God. Play Final Judgment. Uh, uh, play Terminus. For example, in my reanimation deck, it's a reanimation-based deck. I still play Merciless Eviction, because sometimes I just need them gone. Oh, yeah. I need them gone where they'll never come back. If you want to stop worrying about the Silm Primordial coming back all the time... Exile it. Exile it? Exactly. Rift Sweeper exists. They <laughs> have to draw it. Rift Sweeper is still a card that exists, but it's not very heavily played, folks. No, and it, it probably will soon, but... I really, really, really think that the format is missing a lot of exiling effects that should be going to decks. Curse of the Swine? Why is that? First of all, that Curse card... Curse of the Swine is amazing. Jesus. Amazing. <laughs> um, but I really feel as though that's going to be a card that's going to see a lot more heavy play. So, we've talked a little bit more about where the format's at, where, where the it's format's going, evolving to. Where from. What other questions have been posed to you, Tom? Um, well, I have a lot of is this... Is this the, oh! The, oh, I can't wait to talk about this. Kevin, how do I build an EH deck? Oh, I mean, we only got another <laughs> hour and thirty minutes till we get to Trevor's. So, so. so I, I can talk about how I build an EDH deck a lot. Um, I, I can't always talk about how everyone. So there's a few basic ways to build an EDH deck. I, I think there's three. I there's three main ways. Now I have my own strategy, which I'll go into, and then Tom's going to talk about the other two. So for my strategy, if I I'm I'm going to start normally I just start with a color based strategy. So which I say means... I want to play junk. I want to play green, black, and white. Mm-hmm. So I look at all the generals that are available in that, those colors, and I look at the one that is strong. Granted, you don't have many, but yeah. You don't have many, but I really like it. But you have, like, Doran, you have Teneb, you have Gave, you have Carador. So you look at those colors, you say, okay, well, I want this to be my general. I chose, say, Teneb. Now, I like him. Teneb, he's a very powerful card because you get to get creatures six, back six, from the Six-six flying dragon. When he deals combat damage to a player, did you, you get like to my, pay two and a black. Did you like my dragon noise? I did. I, I think it's very... It's very ostrich-like? Very yeah. ostrich-like. Thank you. You are I just a giant ostrich. I try my best. Go, anyway, so... Go you, stick your head in the sand. So you chose Teneb. I I'm, choose, I'm driving. I can't I stick my head in the sand. So I choose Teneb. Now, at that point, I look through my collection... And I, I take all the strong green cards, all the strong black cards, all the strong white cards, and all the strong multicolor cards that might fit into the deck. Gives you normally normally about a pool of 200 cards. <laughs> Around about. Now, yeah. at, at this point, when I look at my general, I like to use my general as a sub-theme. So, I like to have a few cards in my deck that play to that theme, but I don't like my entire deck to be about it. That's just not the way I built decks. You want to you wanna play the cards you want to play in EDH? Yeah. I have a lot of cards that I just like playing. I think they're awesome. I will play Tooth and Nail in every green deck I possibly can. Because I love the card. Now, at that point, you start narrowing down cards, taking out cards that maybe don't fit into that sub-theme. Probably one of the hardest parts about building the H deck is the trimming of the cards. Is the trimming of the cards. You want to play the full 200. And it's, it's so funny, because when people go into it like, man, how am I going to pick out 99 cards? They sit down, they have 300 cards in front of them, like, dude, what? <laughs> 
it's it's very hard. It normally takes me at least two hours to build a deck. Now mm-hmm. I, I've been able to trim that down to probably about forty five minutes now. Because we've done this so just often. because we've been doing it for a long time. But at first, it took me days to f- to really build an EDH deck. I was happy. With. And if and if you go this route, it probably will take you days. It, it's it's a very good way to build a deck if you're an advanced player and you go into the format saying I want to play these specific spells. And it, it is like a, it's I, a good I way to build a very powerful deck. It's a good way to. Just build a very powerful deck that's not necessarily... Synergistic. Not necessarily synergistic. It maybe has some small synergies. Again, that sub-theme of the commander. But it's just, you build a powerful deck that you can just play Magic with. You can play EDH with. And a lot of my decks, you know, I may not necessarily win with my... I may not win with Teneb. Might not even cast him. Just the general. I might not even cast him. But I tell you, the deck... Win, wins a lot of games. Yeah, I mean, just a strong deck will win as just a strong deck. And if you're as adept in the format as Kevin may be, again, I would not suggest this for a beginning player. Um, if you're as adept in the format like Kevin or I am, you can just make a deck like, like this card's good in EDH, this card's good in EDH, this card's good in EDH. This should do great. And it'll do great. Yeah. It'll win a lot. Y- you build a deck that cards that are, are just good in EDH, and you'll do quite well. They may have no synergy with one another, but you're going to still do fine because all the cards are good in EDH. And now the next two strategies that I'm going to go over is if you're a beginner in the format, I think are the two best ways to actually build your deck. Uh, number one, general down. Number two, strategy up. So general down is, I would say... I, I think that's the way every new player should start. Everyone should probably start at that at that, at that stage. So, wait, so what are you going to do, right? You're like, man, I want to play EDH. Well, I don't know where to start. Look at the legendary creatures. Let's and say let Omnath. that guide you. Let's Let, say that I choose Omnath. Yeah, let's say you cracked a lot of World Wake packs, and you're like, man, is this Chase the Mind Sculptor? Damn it, no. Is this Chase the Mind Sculptor? Damn it, no. Is this Chase the Mind Sculptor? Damn it, it's a stupid Omnath. And then you're like, well, I guess I could play this. And you found out you love Omnath? Mm-hmm. Build a general down. And what that means is each... You should always pick a general unless you're picking like one of those ones from Legends, like Barktooth Warbeard. That just that does a, nothing. <laughs> that just has a really cool ability and a really cool effect that you can build around. And that's what you're going to do. So if you're building a deck with like Omnath, which two and a green for a 1-1 elemental, it's a mythic rare from World Wake. Uh, basically, green mana doesn't empty from your mana pool as steps or phases end, and he gets plus one plus one for each green mana in your mana pool. Dude's awesome. Dude's amazing. Like Omnath, very strong mono green ramp general, and he will tell you what he wants in his deck. If you're building a mono green deck with Omnath, you want ramp, ramp, cultivate, Kadama's Reach, explosive vegetation, sky shroud claim, boundless realms. Oh, there's your first six. You also want cards that uh, let you untap your lands during your opponent's turn. So Seaborn News, auto include in that deck. Awakening actually not that bad either. All your lands untap. Ways to ways to con- you- continue adding mana to your green mana pool. Uh, also, very important for that deck. Ways to use your mana at instant speed in green. Yeah, Amazingly good. Uh, Yeva. Uh, Winding Canyons. Winding Canyons. Ant Queen. Uh, even Jade Mage are good in that deck because when your opponent kills Omnath, that mana will disappear at the end of that phase. So you got to use it. And that's one of the best ways, too. And, again, that's just... Going from the general down is that way. No. And it's a very fun way to do it. Now, when you say normally when you try to build a pool of cards for a general down type of deck, how many do you end up with normally? I, I know from Honestly, my Honestly, you get like 125. But yeah, 125. See, with 100. my strategy, you're starting with 200, 300 cards. Really, the sky's the limit if you have a big collection. This strategy, it gives you a much narrower card pool. You can cut it down pretty easily um, to say, well, you know... I like explosive vegetation, but... I'd rather have Sky Shroud Claim. I'd rather have Sky Shroud Claim, because they come into play untapped. Yeah. And you could just make an easy cut there. So it makes it a little bit easier to narrow down choices, because everything fits into just one strategy of what your general does. And it's from the general down. You let the general guide you. Now, if you're new to magic in general, 
first of all, please don't start an EDH. You'll kill yourself. You really uh, will. <laughs> so I would say this is definitely a strategy made for someone who has already played a lot of Magic, knows what Magic is, knows, knows what Magic does, is a good way to put it, and then really just wants to utilize that information. Like, if I give you an Omnath, you know what's good with it. You can build a deck very easily from this. And then I think the easiest way to build an EDH deck is strategy up. I actually, I, I disagree. I say the general... General down, you think, is easiest? General down is the easiest way to build a your first EDH deck. When I built my first EDH deck, um, well, actually, I built... I started with a five-color progenitus deck because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to build. I mean, that's your... Uh, funnily enough, you built your first EDH deck with the way you told everyone to build your decks, which is just... Yes. I like these cards. <laughs> I, I, I pretty much always built EDH decks that way. Um, that's just me. I guess so. But Tom built a Thraxamundar deck, and his deck was focused around... How can I get out my Thraxamundar to kill someone? Which is very fun to do. It was a very a general focused down approach. It ended up being a very 1v1 deck. It's a very 1v1 deck because Thraxamundar is a very 1v1 type of general. Yeah. Well, oh, we can talk about 1v1 EDH versus uh, regular EDH at the end of this. Well, let's we talk still got to go strategy. deck building. Deck building is very important. So now for that, kind of like that medium, if you want to try something new, but you don't necessarily want to associate with your or general. Or I still think if you're new in the format, you can do it this way because a lot of people hinge on strategies a lot when they come to the format. So, strategy up is another way to really build a deck. And what I mean by that is, do you like elves? Do you like mill? Do you like uh, soldiers? Do you like slivers? Do you like your upkeep? Do you like your upkeep? Or do you you not like your upkeep? You can make a strategy around it, build a deck, and then just slap a general on it and call it done. Exactly. So, the reason I was bringing up, do you like your upkeep, do you not like your upkeep... Tom decided to build a deck that was focused on the strategy of his upkeep. I needed five colors, though, so... He needed five colors, so he made his general Child of Alara. Because it's a Wrath Effect when I need it once. But the deck is in no way built around Child of Alara. Usually it's a six-mana, six-six Trampler. Five-mana. Five-mana, six-six with Trampler. And normally he doesn't like playing it. He doesn't like playing his general. But the deck itself, it's focused around all the cards that give you something during your upkeep. And it's a really good way to enter the format. Because if you have your favorite Elf deck, or your favorite Goblin deck, or a Tribal deck... EDH is a breeding ground for tribal-based strategies. Uh, I actually think tribal-based strategies is... It's some of the more powerful things you can do in Exactly. EDH. A really good elf deck kills everybody. Oh, yeah. A really good goblin deck kills everybody. Might be better than elves, almost, at this mm. point. Krenko, man. Krenko's messed up. There's there's a... That's, that's some area that's for That's for a different day. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the strategy-based approach is actually a very good idea. So I actually just want to throw out a couple of strategies if you're really looking to get into EDH mm-hmm. that I would heavily suggest. The first one, tribal. We're talking elves, soldiers, goblins. Uh, not really merfolk, because they don't really have enough... Is not fleshed out enough? No. Um, slivers. Slivers is probably the favorite stri- tribal strategy. I see it a lot, just because there's so many good five-color sliver generals. I would suggest Overlord. Overlord. Um, um, or Queen. Queen is good. One. There's, I actually wrote a little bit on each one and how they're mm-hmm. different. So Sliver Legion is a good general if you just want to put out Slivers and attack. Uh, Sliver Overlord is a great general if you want a toolbox type of build. And Sliver Queen is a great general if you want to combo and kill everybody. If you're newer to the format, I'd rather see you play Sliver Overlord because it gives you the utility and the flexibility you want in that type of deck. Because sometimes you need Essence Sliver. And sometimes and there's always a Sliver for everything. The Sliver <laughs> for everything. Sometimes you need to give your Sliver as far as Yamavaya. So Firewake Sliver is there for you. Yep. It's uh, it's really cool how that always fleshes out, and I think it's a, it's a fun deck to play when you're starting out in EDH, especially since you just buy the sliver product. Okay, so you're halfway we, there. We've got our tribal strategies. What other strategies can they proceed with? Uh, plus one, plus one counters. Plus one. Oh yeah. So I, I decided to build an online EDH deck. It was focused around counters. The plus one, plus one counters. The format. There's a lot of cards that deal with plus one, plus one counters. There's a lot of mechanics that deal with it. I decided that I wanted to build a deck focused around it, so I had a lot of things like proliferate, graft. Right? Graft, um, evolve. evolve, things that just add my plus one plus one counters to creatures on my board. So 
I might have one creature, but it's a 15-15 with, yep. you know, 13 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. Because... All, yeah. It's so much fun. It's very fun. It's it's a strategy that, you know, it, it, it's very good, but it's completely focused around the counter strategy. And all those cards are there, which is the best part. Like, mm-hmm. you don't... You don't barely get to enough cards for your plus one counter deck. Like, you're not adding horrible cards to it. You have them all. Yeah, you have them all, but you don't have as many as, say, when you just take your entire collection for the good cards. Or, say, when you're just trying to focus around your general, normally these are very specific, very specific niche cards that you get to have some fun playing with. You get to build some very interesting things plus into one plus it. Plus one counters is fun. Plus one plus one counters. Tom has an upkeep deck. He has one card in it, Paradox Haze. Okay. Almost no other deck plays this card, because it's bad in those decks. But in a strategy-type deck, that's where you find these cards that you get yeah. to play. In Paradox Haze, it gives you an extra upkeep. Well, everything Tom does in this deck is focused around his upkeep. So getting an extra upkeep, it's like taking an extra turn for him. It is actually like taking it, an extra turn It is for me. exactly like that. <laughs> so that's where these neat strategies, they come into play. And they get, a narrower, get a narrower card pool to build. I, I do want to talk about three more, just mm-hmm. to finish it off, obviously. Go ahead. Zombies and Vampires for Tribes. Obviously, very strong and very good. Yes. Uh, Zombies, especially. I would especially. say Olivia and Grim Grin, respectively. Yeah. Uh, and then, finally, the last strategy I want to talk about is tokens. Tokens. Uh, tokens, very big part of the... Uh, very big part of the Commander universe. Yeah. I don't oh, know. There's, game, there's, I a, there's, there's a token general for every color. You can have Rith. You can have Prosh. You can have Tristani. Uh, you can have... Rise the Redeemed. Oh, God. Rise the Redeemed. I, w- I would stay at least as, as a base green white unless you want to go prosh. Oh, you could do Darien, King of Keldor. Oh, Darien. Oh, Darien is so much fun. Mono white token strategy. That's a fun deck. Yeah. Um, but that's a very good, very fleshed out strategy. There's been a lot of blocks that have a token theme. Again, we just came out of Return to Ravnica and guess what was there? Selesnia the Proliferate. With pro- no, no. With Populate. With Populate. You double, you know, add tokens to the field. Good point, Kevin. So it, it's, that's a very supported strategy. Definitely like to play it. I, I had a token deck for a while there. Um, ever, I think everyone's tried to build a token deck at some point, and it's fun. It is. It's a fun. It's a, they're fun decks to build. And then the last thing I want to mention, if you're getting into EDH, since it's around Christmas time, you know what's a good way to get an EDH, Kevin? The commander product. Commander product. Commander product. Oh. One of the benefits of being online, by the way, is that even though we had to wait for it, it's going to only be thirty dollars. Uh, it will. Everything is always MSRP online, so we packs maybe four bucks, but uh, from the vault. Uh, Exiled or from the vault twenty was thirty five dollars. Uh, once again, the commander product thirty dollars. Uh, you won't. That might not be the same at your local Target, or it will be the same at your local Target, but not your local game store. Well, the thing about it is, in the last two, com- in, in each of the commander printings, they put some cards in that are amazing in Legacy. Stupid true name nemesis. So, true name nemesis. Baleful Strix. Baleful Strix. And, Scavenging ooze. Oh, Flusterstorm. These were cards that, they were made in the Commander products, but Legacy players saw them and just snatched them right up. Yep. Now, th- what that means is the Grixis Commander deck really is going for $65 in a game store. Yeah. Because it has True Name Nemesis in it, and a card that's amazing in Legacy. Legacy because you give your, you have a creature that has protection from a player. Almost horrible in Commander. Oh, it, it's a card that I wouldn't play in Commander. It's nope. a 3-1. I tried it really quickly. It's just not worth it. Whereas in Legacy, that 1v1 type of format, it's an amazing card, does a great things. But if you're entering into Commander, uh, and not online, because if you're entering online, please just spend $10 and make your own deck. Yeah, online um, you have access to almost to a plethora of every card out there. They're very cheap. It's not cost prohibitive. 
So, uh, but again, the commander deck is a very good way to enter the format. They each one comes with three different commanders and a deck uh, built around two of those commanders, which is kind of annoying because we actually had the joy of playing against the Revy last mm-hmm. night, who I found much better than I thought it was going to be. Oh, and she's I, good. And I she's heard about good. how strong it can be. Kevin, Stasis. Oh. Yes, that's where, that's, I like, no, the person I was playing is like, yeah, if I play Stasis, you guys do know you don't do anything for the rest of the game. And I'm like, whoa. So that guy, watch out. If you're playing against a spiky player and they play Derevi, they could be playing a Stasis, they, they could, could be playing Winter sure Orb, a lot of cards to make sure that you just can't attack things. Yeah. Now, that's the dark side of it, um, but... The, the dark side of Derevi. <sighs> of the bird wizard. But the nice side is... That deck is also based around Rune the Enchanter, which is super fun. So I would definitely say the Commander product, a great way to get into the format if you don't... If you're if you're literally, like, you don't want to do the brain power to figure it out, or you're really, really, really lost and you need some guidance... Or you're new to the format. Or you're new to the format and you just don't have the collection built up to really play, that's my that's my suggestion. I, I definitely agree with you. The, the thing about it is with these Commander... The Commander Precon decks... You can buy the pre-con deck. You can take out 10, 12 cards, put in cards that you like, that you think are good, try them out, and you have a good deck. It gives you a good base to start. And my favorite part about it is it has what I would say the basic deck building immediate in it, which is it starts at... Each one has 39 lands. Perfect. Done. Perfect. So I, one, one of the really common questions I get is, Tom, how many lands do I play? 39. Oh, or 38. Wait, wait, you mean I don't play 30 lands? Darn it, I've been doing it wrong this entire time. Uh, Kevin, I've gotten decks. <laughs> I've gotten decks that play 33 lands. And they're not Edric with a bunch of one drops. <laughs> so, folks, I, I know when you know, when you first start creating construction deck, uh, constructed decks, the first rule that I learned about Magic was you want your constructed deck have about a third of it be lands. Which in EDH is 33. Which in EDH is 33 lands. Now... The thing about it is, EDH, you're playing a lot of very expensive cards. You're looking to go to the long game, and if you're not laying land every single turn, you are severely behind. You are severely behind, because you're playing in a multiplayer format. You're not going to kill everyone by turn 5 or turn 6 like you can do in a 1v1 format. Meaning, you're going to want to have more lands. You want to draw your lands. So that's where you want to play... My 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 range of lands that you want to play in EDH. If you're playing a, a deck with a lot of mana ramp, a lot Actually, of ways to get is, lands. This is something I definitely want to talk about and flesh it out. Thirty-seven the most, lands. The most commonly asked question. Yeah. So you can you can go from a range of about thirty-seven lands to if you're playing a deck that has more like, mostly enraged needs lands. I've seen, you could play all the way up to forty-five. I would I've say seen forty-five land decks. I, I would play from thirty-seven to forty-five. Now my average run-of-the-mill deck. If it's not playing green, I'm 39 or 40 lands, hands down. There's just no argument. So I, I definitely want to kind of steer this direction, because I think it's a very important topic. Once again, most commonly asked. So if I'm building the H deck and I'm looking at my land slots, if I'm playing green, this is how I put it in my head. I am, no matter what, not going under 37 lands. I don't care if I'm playing Omnath, and every single card in my deck gets me lands. I will not go under 37. It's not worth it. Uh, because the, the hands where you get three lands and you're stuck... You lose. You just lose. And that happens. Remember, you're playing a 99-card singleton deck. 37 doesn't mean that you will get there. And also, something to point out with the format, kind of kind of just further reinforce that point, we've done a lot of uh, average cost in our decks online, and we've built a lot of online decks for Commander. The four, average cost 4, 4 to 4.5. That's a lot of mana for your average spell. Yeah, like if you look at a constructed deck, your average CMC is 3 or less. Yeah. Depending in the... Normally the in the 2 to 3 range. Yeah. So, speaking more on it, so if I'm building a ramp deck that 
plays like green red, I want to still play about 38 lands. Solid lands. 37, 38 lands. Yes, you're playing a lot of mana ramp, but you need to be able to play your spells. You need to naturally be able to draw lands. Now, the way I've heard some people do it, and I don't think it's a bad call, is they count down from 40. And what I mean by that is, what they do is, for every Signet, Soul Ring, or uh, Dark Soul Ingot, for every two they add in, they take out a land. So if they're playing six Signets, or six Signet-like spells, they're playing 37 lands, accompanied with other ramp spells. And I don't think that's a bad way to take it, just to make it really easy. I, I do think that's a good idea. Now, just don't... Again, we keep saying 37 is the absolute floor. Make sure that if you're following that approach, you still cap yourself at 37 lands. You right. need to have at least 37 to have the dispersion of lands in your deck. And that being said, in just, order to draw them enough. Just because you're running 40 lands doesn't mean you're you're allowed to not run cards to make sure your mana gets smooth. So if I'm playing a red-white deck, I still have, I mean, maybe not even Soul Ring. I still have Signet, Key Rune, Armillary Sphere, Armillary Sphere, uh, Dark Shell Ingot, uh, Chromatic Lantern, sometimes Chromatic Sphere, like. You still need ways to make sure you can keep up with decks that are just playing Cultivate on turn 3 and Explosive Vegetation on turn 4. And that's one of the ways to do it, is to play Artifact Ramp. And even if it, even if it may seem like it's taking away spots from actual spells in your deck... You need them. You need them. Let's just be honest. Guys, your mana is very important in a format where you want to play these big flashy spells, where you want to play these very mana-intensive spells. You need to have the right amount of cards in your deck dedicated to making sure that your mana is good. I would and say... I would say probably uh, I, at least 10 to 11 slots. Yes, I, I agree. At least 8. Uh, yeah, 10. At least 8, maybe, for me. I would say 8, because remember, you're working at 60. Yes. So at least 8 sounds good. That's over 10% of your cards yes. uh, that aren't lands. That being said, at least 8, please. Yes. At, at the very least 8, um, again... Probably eight, eight to eleven. If you get above eleven, generally you're you getting be a little bit too narrow. Unless you're playing decks that want to. Yes. Ooh, look, a motorcycle. <laughs> Very loud Harley just roared past us. But mana, mana ramp is, or not mana ramp, but mana fixing. It's not sexy, but it's something you absolutely need to do in EDH, it especially because deck, you're going to play multiple colors generally. And it makes your deck work. And you're playing in a multiplayer situation. You don't want to get behind. Yeah. And that's and, the number one way to do it. And the thing is, this is a best this is not a best two out of three game. You can't really afford to get mana screwed. If you're stuck on four lands, yeah. Sorry. You, you're investing two hours of your time normally into these games. You don't wanna just not be able to do anything. Or if it's your own playgroup, you get to sit out for an hour and thirty minutes and watch the rest of the game go on. Exactly. Dude, that sucks. It does. Uh, we've both been there. It happens. And it's terrible because you got another motorcycle? Woo! And that one was a crotch rocket. <laughs> I like the I like the the the, the hybrid Ric Flair there. Uh, so yeah, you definitely need about eight slots for mana fixing. And now the last one I want to say that I like to put in every single deck is some sort of card draw, which you can still get in red white decks, which you can still get in green decks with stuff like Harmonize. I like to devote at least five slots to ways to get extra cards, just because it's the number one way to lose the control decks is they outdraw you. Oh, so certainly. if this is Mind's Eye. If this is Staff of Nin... If you're playing green, if you play Harmonize, if you play Sylvan Library, if you're playing black, playing Erebos, playing... Um, Greed. Greed. Phyrexian Arena. Phyrexian Arena. Just ways to draw you cards. It's very important to get yourself additional cards in these games because you're going to be using your resources. And yeah. cards are resources. I know that's a very obvious point. I understand. Some of you are like, yeah, we obviously play draw cards on our spells. I've seen red-white soldier decks that just play creatures. 
and yes. that's it. So, so understand, like, there's definitely different levels of deck builders, especially when it comes to this format. And, like, again, Kevin, your method of deck building works great if you've been in this format for three years like you have. If you're just starting this format, dude, it doesn't work like that. Exactly. But even in, even in my counters deck, I still play mana ramp spells. I still play draw card drawing spells because while I want to play my very specific strategy, I do also want to be able to get the cards I need to to play that strategy. Exactly. Just drawing one card a turn, oftentimes it's just not going to be good enough for you. You know what one of my favorite cards is in Commander, Kevin? What? It's a 5-drop 2-2 two, two flyer called Moldrifter. Oh. God, I love Moldrifter. It's you, like you know, the you, best. You know the best thing to do with Moldrifter outside of casting it? What? Reanimating it. Oh, God, it's so <laughs> much fun. <laughs> or copying it. Oh, I love Moldrifter. Oh. I can hug it. Moldrifter. It looks huggable. Yes. Moldrifter, cards like that, you would think that it's just a 2-2 flyer for 5 that draws you 2 cards when it comes to play, probably not good enough for Commander. Oh, that's trash. You would be so wrong. So wrong. That card is every blue deck. Any deck I play that has blue in it must play one Moldrifter. You want to know why? It blocks 8-8s. Eight it, it blocks 8-8s. Eight it gives you utility. Yeah, and you can reanimate it. You can blink it off the off chance. If you're playing Codrath Closet with a Moldrifter, you sit back and laugh. So, Tom, do, do you think we beat the horse of lands and mana and how to build your deck enough? There is one more thing I want to talk about. Oh, man. Um, and it, I like to call it the uh, the Mythic Rare Allure. So I got, a, I got a hard truth for you. Those cards that are super expensive, sometimes they're not even that good. Like, a good example is if you're just playing a bunch of Mythic Rares in your deck and you expect to beat a deck that's synergistic, you won't. If, if your entire deck is built around cards like... Are you saying my are you saying my Tarmogoyf is not going to always win me an EDH game? I am saying your Tarmogoyf won't win you EDH games. I'm telling you your Dark Confidant won't win you EDH games. Your Baneslayer Angels just not getting you there? It's just okay. Yeah. So, Another card, Force of Will. Oh, God, that card is just okay. It's, it's not even good, really. If you're playing I, a combo deck, it's good, but it's like, just okay. Yeah. Pact Negation, eh, it's okay. Yeah. I uh, mean, you're talking about... Delvery Secret's horrible. <laughs> the price point of cards in EDH, it's not necessarily the, the most expensive cards that are going to win you the game, because the thing about EDH is the prices of cards in the format, the, a lot of the cards that are heavily priced are heavily played in competitive formats. EDH is not supposed to be meant to be a competitive format. Yeah, that's why Scavenging Goose's price was so weird. So cards for an EDH player that are great for your deck... Greater goods, like what, five bucks? For example, yeah, greater good. Mana Reflections, two bucks. Oh, God. These are hey, we finally get to talk about Mana Reflection on MTG Radio again. Yes. Yes. Mana Reflection, I love you. <laughs> uh, yeah. For those of you guys who listened to the original podcast, just... I think we talked about it at least twice an episode. I think if someone had a drinking game, drink every time they said Mana Reflection, they'd get very drunk. They'd die. They would die. Uh, um, but Mana Reflection, incredibly important, like... I just, uh, that, that's what the Mythic Rare Allure is. A lot of people want to play these really expensive cards because they pay a lot of them money for them. Huntmaster of the Fells, $40 card at one point, just okay. Baneslayer Angel, $50 card. That card is super, super expensive. It's, it's just a dude. Yeah, it's just a dude. Not that expensive now, but yeah, it's just a dude now. It's oh. just like a, oh. Actually, the epitome of this, Jace, the Mindscarver. <laughs> oh god, this is hilarious. I would rather have JCB. Give me Jace Polarin. Party Jace all the time over Jace the Mind Sculptor. Yep. You're playing a multiplayer format. Jace the Mind Sculptor doesn't lock one person out of the game. You can't lock one person out of the game and expect to win. Because you will die for doing that. Literally, one of the most expensive cards ever made in Magic that is recently, recently, uh, we're barring out Power 9, some of the older cards. Like 5 out of 10. Yeah. It's it's like a 5 out of 10. Normally, it's just a, it's just a, a brainstorm. Maybe you get to use twice. Maybe. Maybe if you're lucky. Maybe. Mostly, most of the time, no. 
Because people respect it from the constructed formats. They knew to kill it. Yeah. So... And please don't don't think we're on a high horse here. Mm-hmm. Again, this is just for newer deck builders that have that mythical rare allure. Like, oh, cool. I just got this really expensive spell. I want to play it and it's going to do awesome. The fact is, it probably won't. Well, I, I wouldn't say that. I'd say, don't look at a, don't look at your deck and say, just because my deck cost me $10 to build means it's obviously going to get outclassed by every other deck I play because their cards are more expensive. Synergy is key. And it's one of the things I really hinge on when it comes to the Tentacate decks. You can make Wellwisher more powerful than Jace the Mind Sculptor. It's easy. Exactly. You can make Krenko more powerful than Vampire Tutor. Like, the cards that are synergistic, that allow very synergistic... I'm basically going tribal decks here just because that's what's going off my head. They're some of the most powerful synergies. Elvish Poacher is insane. It's better than so. It's better than Survival of the Fittest in that deck. Like... One of the one of the key ways to beat if your if your friend has like a two two thousand dollar deck that you're annoyed about because he has a bunch of judge foils, play tribal elves and make him cry. Yes. So on that note, and I, I kind of want to have this with a grain of salt here because we don't want to feel like we're bashing cards that are expensive. I play oh, no. plenty of expensive cards in my EDH decks. I, I need replenish for my upkeep deck. Exactly. There's some cards out there that you just want to play. Those mythics that are, they're just cool. They do awesome things. You, you're you're oh, going yeah. to pay the money for it. Spaces Revelations, great in EDH. Play it, buddy. But don't think that you have to go out and spend that type of money. And even more importantly, if you do, that it's going to make you win. I, I will say one of the greatest parts about EDH is that is I don't believe it's a pay-to-win format. No, it and, definitely is not. And like the number one criticism for standard and extended or modern or legacy, which I also disagree with, is that they're a pay-to-win format. And I think EDH is not one of those formats. I have seen many a 10-ticket deck beat an entire table of decks that are worth $200, $300 on Magic Online, which, when cards are very cheap on Magic Online, as a general rule... That's saying something. That's a lot of money. Yeah. That's really hard to do. So... That's probably one of my, my favorite things to do, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you're... I, I like your Tundra and Taiga. I'm going to attack you for 7 with my Snake deck? With a, with, I'm going to attack you with 7 7 sevens right now. I think you're dead. Oh, you are dead. Well, in, you know, case in point here, just to give an example to it, is I built a flying deck. Every card, in the, every creature in the deck had flying. Now, when I built this deck, I wanted to get some of the cooler flyers out there. Those happened to be those mythics. That was that Baneslayer Angel a little bit after it was out outside of its peak, so I didn't yeah. pay 50 to $70 for it. I paid 5 But, like... Baneslayer Angel, Angel of Serenity. I played all these very powerful flyers that had a decent price tag on them. Yeah. The deck is good, but I would, if I had to rate it out of a 10, it's probably a 6. A 6 is just it's, because it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's good. Yeah. Now, it's my most expensive deck, but definitely doesn't mean it's going to win all the time. Yeah, your, your Teneb deck rocks it every single time. Yeah, my Teneb deck is not expensive. It's not very expensive. It's probably a 50, 40 to 50 dollar deck. Not bad. And that deck is scary. You sit down with that uh, with that at a table, Tom's always going to tell everyone, kill me. And I'm always going to say, please don't. <laughs> and it's still a good idea to kill you, by the way. Uh, as long as you're being threatening, I'm allowed to kill you. <laughs> Deal? We won't talk about that All in this right, podcast. Fine, 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 fine. <laughs> okay, so we've gone a little bit more into the deck building process. Which is important because I love deck building, Kevin. <laughs> exactly. That's, it's <laughs> it's important because I like it. Commander is very good about deck building. We've answered some of those questions. What are the questions have you heard, Tom? Uh, when it comes to EDH, or as far as MTGO is concerned, when people ask me questions, obviously they ask me about ban lists, they ask me about deck building, they ask me about the differences between the two, um, you know, 
I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. Ooh, ooh, are we saying we're wrapping it up? Our, 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 our listeners have only been here for 91 minutes. Oh, do we want to leave them at an hour and a half? Do we want to leave them at an hour and a half? Uh, Is there anything you can think of you like to talk about here? I believe I said we were going to talk about something later, and I think I already forgot to talk about it. So, the one last thing I would like to talk about in EDH versus any other format is your mindset when you approach it. Oh, God. Okay, so we're going to be here for another 30 minutes then, right? Well, let's... <laughs> well, we talked about that a lot during our first podcast, so all I want to do is reiterate is if that's changed at all. Oh, I'm fine going deep, man. We got another hour until we hit Trevor's. I, I, I think that we need to just at least... Give mention oh, to yeah, that and then there should be 1v1 in a multiplayer EDH. That's what we wanted to do. Oh, uh, yeah, that So, one. two more topics, folks. Sorry, you're not allowed to leave unless you don't want to listen okay, to this. Okay, so, uh, this is always a very... I actually want to leave it on this one. Okay. So, one of the other biggest questions or hot-button issues, which I like those hot-button issues in a casual format that's barely saying to my Watsi, um, is... comes down to the social contract. The idea being that EDH is played for fun. You mean I can't play my Armageddon's? No. I actually wouldn't say that. So, for me, what EDH comes down to when it comes down to the format itself is I really think it's dictated by playgroup. Your playgroup is so important when it comes to EDH because it tells you what type of deck you can build, it tells you what type of build you want to play with, and it tells you what kind of fun you're going to have. And what I mean by that is I've seen really healthy playgroups where the idea is to combo on a turn four every single time. And they love it. That's how they want to play Commander. For, it, for example, when I originally moved to Gainesville, um, I had a Ruffellos deck. When Ruffellos was allowed to be a general, that deck was mean. Oh, yeah. That deck was a ridiculously powerful. Generally, I, I could win turn three easily. I could Normally, the, the, the win on that deck was a turn five win. And then I played against a playgroup that, that was the norm. And guess what? Ruffellos fit right in, but it wasn't overpowering. And it was still fun to play, because that's still playing Magic. Playing really competitively is still playing Magic. Now, where the issue comes in is when those playgroups butt heads. At, at your local card shop, like I go to Armada Games for Armada Games EDH night, and sometimes someone, come in, someone will come in with a creatureless combo deck, and no one really has fun. Or, because that's a very casual type of crowd. Or you'll have a bunch of casual players sit down and someone's playing Edric, or someone's playing a zombie lady of scrolls and just dominates them. Everyone's kind of like, oh... Well, I cast Firewake Sliver, and... Oh, that gets... Oh, that gets countered. Uh, I cast this, that gets countered. Okay. And the power levels between decks can really vary, because, again, you can make a really synergistic, powerful deck, but if you're just playing your fun upkeep deck against decks that are really, really, really well-tuned, you don't... It's not a fun There's a experience. big disconnect between the two. And so one of the main issues that people have is... Finding a way to play EDH together and have fun. And I know that, sh that, that shouldn't be that way. A lot of people say, like, oh, the it should be a fun format. We shouldn't have people play combo decks. We should outlaw combo decks. We should outlaw all these cards that make it unfun. We should outlaw... We should outlaw stacks generals. We shouldn't allow uh, defense grid to be played. We shouldn't allow anything that destroys lands to be played. But the fact is that your fun isn't my fun. Kevin loves playing Prosh, he loves sacrificing creatures. I love doing the weirdest shit possible. Tom my, likes having upkeeps. Yeah. <laughs> if someone played my upkeep deck, they could hate life. Like, you do nothing. I think that's great. I like making a 1-1 during my upkeep. I tried playing his upkeep deck, I just, I, I gave up after a while. I was just, play a land, I give up, go. Just yeah. go. <laughs> that's not fun for them, but it's fun for me. 
And the best part about this format is the wide open field you have to build decks. You have hundreds of generals. You have hundreds of strategies. You have so many cards in the whole history of Magic the Gathering to build whatever deck you want. There's going to be a disconnect between decks. Some people have played the format more. Some people are coming to the format with a commander precon. So the question is, how do you fix that? And I think it goes down to the playgroup. Yes. So make sure when you're when you're getting to a new area, especially if you move, make sure you go in and, and see what your EDH group is playing before you just dive into it. That's right. that's my personal recommendation. When I originally moved to Gainesville to for college, I had no idea what people were playing there. So I, I you know I brought the decks that were good in my play group in South Florida. When I got up there, I had to completely tune them. I had to really amp up the strategies to make them a much higher level of play because everyone up there was so much more competitive. And then you still had fun, even though it was competitive EDH. But then, when I would come back and visit my friends in South Florida, I had to really make sure that like I could take out those cards that were so competitive in Gainesville that made it fun there so I could still have fun with a much more casual play group in South Florida. And the reason why I talked about those hundreds of cards in Magic and those hundreds of legendary creatures is that... EDH allows you such flexibility that it's very simple that if you want to be like the Arbiter, you can just play an easier strategy when playing against your friends and play a more competitive strategy against other people. So where this really sucks is when someone's a jerk about it. And what I mean by that is when you're in a play group and someone only combos out on turn four every single game and you ask them nicely like, hey man, um, I wanted to play, you know, my tribal centaurs. Or tribal centaurs. Or yes. tribal druids. Or mono black slippers. And I wanted <laughs> and I wanted to get and I wanted to get past turn five. Could you please stop playing? And they just stonewall you and say no. They're like, no, this is the only deck I built. I put all my money in this deck, I don't have any other cards. I'm not playing anything else. And that's where that social contract comes into play. That's where if it you're matters. playing EDH live, you have the ability to just say, okay, well, it, 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 I, I respect that. I'm just not playing EDH with you anymore. Exactly. I'm sorry. And then there's also another part of it. The reason why neither of us said Armageddon should be banned or Infect should be banned or anything like that is because people stopped playing it. Like, I haven't seen an Infect creature for the last six months. That strategy is super strong and is horrible to play against and destroys playgroups. And then people were like, wow, this is really annoying to play with and no one likes playing against it and I should stop playing it. Great card in EDH. Very powerful. Skitherix. Lightsteel Colossus. Two... Really great infect creatures. Haven't seen them in years. I haven't seen them in years just because people realize that, yes, they are very powerful. They do what they do, but they're just not fun. Super not fun. And, and the so, same thing's going to happen with cards like, I've stopped playing Insurrection. Yeah. I hate playing Insurrection. I, it's, it's a, it's a you cast it, the game's over kind of spell. I just don't play anymore. I've started taking it out. It used where once you play a card and you realize that, you know, yes, this is a very powerful card, but I'm playing a format that I play to have fun that I play to do social things with. That's where the social contract comes in, where people are like, you know, I've played this card enough, I can tell by the looks on my friends' faces whenever I play this card that it sucks to play against. I'm going to take it out. For me, right now, that card's Crater Hope Behemoth. I've been taking out of decks. It just I, feels too cheap for me. For certain strategies, it makes a lot of sense. I'm not ragging on you, Kevin, just to be fair. Just, 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 just saying, to be like, fair, I play Crater Hope in a lot of decks. <laughs> for me, personally, it's a card I've been taking out of decks because I think that it's just not fun to play with or against. Just personally. And it might get to the point where Crater Hub just becomes so good that everyone realizes, you know, yes, this is a great card. Everyone acknowledges that. Let's fact. have an armistice on this. Let's but just let's just not. Yeah. Let's just it's better not to nuke the world and than it, to have a bunch of nukes ready to nuke the world. Exactly. <laughs> kind of like mutually assured destruction, but everyone just having fun instead. Exactly. And I think that's 
That's what mutually assured funness. Mutually assured funness. That's a good way to put it. And I think that's really what the commander format comes down to. So if you're currently having problems in your playgroup, or you're having problems in commander, or you just hate a specific card, first, go do it on the playgroup level. That's where it starts. Or, if you can, see what you need to do to adapt to your playgroup, to adapt your decks to your playgroup. Because because the format has so much flexibility, there's always a way you can change, change either your things or your surroundings to where it's more fun. Yeah, a great example is we were talking earlier about Zer. Oh, my best friend keeps playing Zer. Play back to nature. Make yeah. them hate life. Like, haha, I locked you up with Zer. Back to nature. Or play, oh. the, play that new green creature that Bane of Progress. Bane of Progress. Hate he destroys card. all artifacts and enchantments and gets plus one plus one counters for them. Any person who plays enchantment decks like Zer, that's their that's their least favorite card to ever see. Yeah, also gets rid of uh Shroom. It Congrats. gets rid, completely gets rid of the Shroom decks, gets rid of a lot of different strategies. Now, we're not saying you should always play that card. But you have the ability to use it if it's warranted. Right. If, if, that, if that's what you need to do. And then the last straw, by the way, mm-hmm. is actually like if you're, if you're so tired of playing EDH with your playgroup that you just don't want to play anymore, I honestly suggest coming to Magic Gathering Online. That's, that's where you get into Magic Gathering Online. The thing about Magic Online is you're not limited by geographic location. We've talked about how that's that's one of the big benefits, and that's a huge benefit. Shout out one, to the people in Utah. <laughs> one of the things, when we do these four-man EDH games, we have one person who's in the United Kingdom, we have one person who's out in Washington, and then we have Tom and I who are both located in opposite ends of Florida. Yeah. We couldn't be, we could not be farther apart unless someone was located in Asia. It's very, and it, in real life, it would be almost impossible for us to get together to play a game. But we get to play at least two games a month. But through Magic Gathering Online. Online. We get to play online, we get to record videos, and it's just a lot of fun. We ha- I've had a lot of fun playing those games. So if you're tired of seeing specific spells on, on in, in your playgroup, and it's gotten to the point where like you're the one that realizes, maybe I should go on Magic Online, try it out. It's totally worth it. Definitely. And now, the last, last, last subject is the differences between 1v1 EDH or French EDH and multiplayer EDH. First of all, different band list. Different band list. Soul Ring's banned in yeah. 1v1 EDH. Edric, it's too I good. Banned. Edric is banned. Uh, I, I, I honestly, I don't play enough French EDH to know the full ban list, but I can tell you that... It's much more competitive. It's much, much more competitive. It's um, much Tom, more 1v1. Tom was saying how he has, a, he has a friend who watches his stream, Royal AL. I believe he also makes his own videos. He does his own YouTube video. His own YouTube he channel. is a 1v1 EDH player. His decks are incredibly powerful. 1v1 EDH master. He is a master of the format. His decks are... If you want to look at a powerful deck, his decks are the creme de la creme for the 1v1 games. God, it's... They're annoying to play against a multiplayer even. That's how strong they are. But the thing is, whenever he sits down for a multiplayer game, people recognize that his deck is so geared to kill 1v1, everyone at the table wants to kill him. Welcome to politics. If if you play a Kaini Rector on turn 3, we're going to make sure that doesn't work. Yes. We're we're going to kill you. We're going to exile the Academy Rector. So... The main thing is, again, for that person that has felt like they really want to play a competitive version of EDH, go to 1v1 EDH. Yes. 1v1 EDH is competitive. It is meant to be insanely competitive. And that's where you can really let those spike juices in you flow, where you can say, you know what? I have access to every card in Magic, except w- for a very small ban list. I'm going to go for it. I'm yeah. going for the combos. I'm playing Reman. I'm playing Spell Pierce. I'm playing Force Spike. Let's get there. And you know what? That's, that's what it's there for. Go for it. But... 
Now, on that other end, if you take that 1v1 deck and you you put it into a multiplayer environment... Welcome to politics. Welcome to politics. I love politics. This this is one of my favorite parts about the format. So, on MTGO, it's kind of unfair because you can whisper to people and you can really, like, form alliances and stuff. But even in real life... Shh! Collusion. Collusion exists. But honestly, in real life, politics still exists. If someone's playing a prosh deck and they cast a prosh and they have six one ones and you know everyone's going to die next turn, you all collude together to make sure that person doesn't win so that you can win later. Or if you're new to a card shop and you sit down with a table where everyone at the table knows each other and they know that one player at that table plays really, really competitive decks and they don't know you. They don't know if you play really competitive decks. You might speak high a few games with just a really competitive deck because they didn't know to target you. Yeah. Because so they don't know your play style. Exactly. So that's where those politics come into play. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, if you're a multiplayer EDH player, I have all of my decks are multiplayer EDH decks. I will not take, say, my my Teneb deck on off of Moto. I won't play that in 1v1 EDH. It's just not going to be fun for me. No, you, you can't win. The, 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 the spells are so directed. And since you're already playing cards like Wrath of God to get rid of multiple creatures, I mean, like, it's still good in 1v1 EDH, but the cards you have are specifically for a multiplayer format, even something as simple as Gary just aren't nearly as good. Yeah. Like, for example, Tom has the Strax Mundar deck. Anytime I play 1v1 EDH against Tom, if he's playing the Strax Mundar deck, I know that my decks are not going to have the advantage just because his Strax Mundar deck is very focused on that 1v1. It plays a lot of very powerful 1v1 cards. Directed effects. It even plays Shainer's Edict. Like, I'm going 1v1 on you, bro. Yes. So, just to take that mindset, EDH can cater to literally anyone. Everyone. Literally anyone. You have the way to be competitive. You have the way to be creative. You have the way to yeah, I mean, like, play what you want to play. You can really let that identify your magic playstyle. Which is why I love EDH. It's so deep. It's like, you know what? I want to build a deck that's based around an artist. Build a Rebecca Guai deck. You can do it. Or like, I want to build a deck based around... Oh, I want to build a deck where everyone has a beard. I want to build a deck where everyone has a hat. I want to build a very competitive deck based around using a Grixis General to make sure my opponents draw and discard cards all the time. I want to use all of those aging counters, all of those cumulative upkeep effects to say I don't have upkeeps. Oh god, I love the anti-upkeep deck. The anti-upkeep deck. You can do that in EDH. That's just amazing. EDH is whatever you want it to be. And I think that's the last... I think we can end on this. I I think we do. My favorite part about the format is that EDH is anything you want it to be. You can build anything. And you can make your own fun. Don't let anyone take that away from you. And if you're annoyed playing against a certain playgroup, go on to Magic on the Gathering Online and play whatever the hell you want. Because EDH lets you do that. You can do anything, Kevin. And that is the beautiful thing. So, folks, if you take anything away from this, hopefully we've answered some of those burning questions that everyone really has when they're getting into EDH, when they want to learn more about it. I mean, Tom and I have been playing this format for a very long time. Tom's At least been, six years. Tom, Tom's been streaming it. He's, we've been recording videos on it. Right. done it for a it. while. And the, the main thing to say is it is a format for you to have fun and let nothing stop you from doing that. So I hope this was a nice update as to where MTG Radio has gone and where it is right now. Uh, and I guess to end it off, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in, folks. You have a great whatever it is. <laughs>